And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. I want to thank everyone for joining us. Thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us as we walk through this minefield together. This minefield of current events, my goodness. Yeah, I'm looking around here. It does look vaguely familiar. I want to thank you for, uh, thank you for, uh, your support and your prayers, Joe. And thank you so much for, uh, filling in for me as I, Absolutely. And, and, and you, Jackie. And Jackie and Eric and uh, all the rest. Gilligan's Island, right? And the rest. You know, off camera, Jackie sat there a few nights. Yes, she did. I know. For the whole show. I know. Getting a feel for it. Um, well, that's good. But but seriously, uh, glad to be back. And I, I do want to thank Joe for, for his uh, stalwart efforts and, and for uh, Eric for everything he's done. Jackie for what she did. And, uh, to advance the show. And of course, John from behind the scenes, uh, in the production there. And, uh, I want to thank everyone for hanging with us. Uh, it's been a, it's been something. And here's, uh, Theo. Let's see if we can bring the, Jackie brought Theo in. Was he got a napkin in his mouth? Come here. Come here. Just a little bit of levity today. This is, uh, that's Studio Dog number two. This is, yes, yeah, oops, it's okay, baby. It's okay. <laughs> this is Studio dog, dog number two. This is Theo. This is Jackie, uh, Jackie's pup. Let's see, can you, can you, can people see you? Yeah, he's a very cute dog. Theo. There we go. <laughs> yeah, I don't think he likes that. Alright, so, can you say hi, Theo? Theo. Ruff. Alright. Here you go, babe. No, he's not a loud dog. He doesn't, he doesn't, uh. Alright, so, a little bit of levity, a little bit of uh, casual nature to, to our broadcast before we start. <laughs> we we have a, a terrific show lined up for you. And where else do you get to see, you know, animal moment, except on the Hagman and Hagman Report? Uh, Joe, Robert, David Steele on Friday. Of course, Dr. Ted Brower. All last week was good. Sheila Zelensky, uh, some great shows. We have, um, we did put up, we did put up, uh, a couple of segments, a couple more segments are going to be coming up tonight uh, that are isolated from from the the shows last week, and I think a couple of things that we we have. Randall Terry, fourteen minute uh, segment, extremely important, as well as IQL Razuli, which of course uh, we heard from BTR. They're not too pleased with the fact that IQL Razuli is uh, talking about uh, the true nature of Islam. But that said. It's up there. Now we, of course, since I'm in, uh, way the, uh, London attacks, now we had a, an attack, uh, a guy with a hammer in Paris. Folks, this is all coming to the United States. It's here. We've had it here, but it's going to increase this summer. We've got a lot of things that we're working on. I, I, I debated about a couple, I debated a, a couple of different ways how I was going to come back. We, we have here the, the 15 minutes, the end of 15 minutes. Remembering Terry McCarthy on from London, UK to talk about the ter- uh, London terrorist attacks. So I really don't want to spend too much time there except to say that London is getting exactly what they, what the, what the people have asked for. 
in terms of terror. I'm not talking about the I'm talking about the politicians, the the power, the people in power. That's what exactly what's taking place. And when you attempt to coexist coexist with people that don't want to coexist with you, this is what happens. And of course, we've we're going to be seeing that here in some of the uh, I really believe it's going to it's going to take place in some of the so-called sanctuary cities or the people that or the cities that are opening up to the uh uh, the, uh, well, the multiculturalists, shall we say. So that's coming. You're going to be hearing about this on a, on a more weekly basis here in the United States. Uh, we, uh, oh, before I go on any further, I do want to say hello to Rose, Rosie, from my hometown. I happened, uh, to meet her in a pharmacy. I think it was yesterday. What a sweet lady. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks so much for tuning into our program. Thanks for introducing yourself to me. It made me feel so good. Um, so, Rosie, if you're watching, if you're listening, I just want to say thank you. You lifted my spirits yesterday. Um, God bless you. You're a wonderful, wonderful lady. And it, it just it, it really lifted, uh, lifted my spirits meeting you. <clears throat> All right. The a couple of things that we are working on behind the scenes. We have investigators that are working on certain stories, certain things that are taking place. Huma Abedin, Anthony Weiner, the computers, the Dearborn, Michigan raid of that house on Jonathan Avenue. Uh, now, other citizen journalists are also working on that as well. The uh, Journal of Muslim Affairs, the Huma Abedin, the connection to Huma Abedin, that is connected to folks, the, uh, the Anthony Weiner, the computers that were taken from Weiner, Weiner's, uh, uh, residence. There's a connection there. There's a direct connection to Huma Abedin. I don't know how many people have heard about this. I'm just kind of shotgunning this information out there. This is information that's not making the news. Uh, so, Huma Abedin, her parents, her family, is, is according to the information that I've got right now, and we're, we're developing this out, is uh, related to, directly related to that FBI raid in Dearborn, Michigan, that is a national security issue. That's not a criminal issue. That is not a tax issue. This is a national security issue. And that goes back to the laptops or the laptop, the router, the cell phone, the mobile devices of Anthony Weiner back in late 2016. Very important story to keep your eye on. In addition to that, we are also advancing issues in the Pedogate arena. Pedogate of course, the umbrella uh, topic that involves Pizzagate, which some say is fake news. Really. Folks, it's not fake news. Not even close. Of course, the Seth Rich homicide. I've never seen such blowback in my life on any homicide, any one homicide. Perhaps um other than Vince Foster. 
And Seth you know, Rich is is we're getting blowback on that, but that's uh, Joe. I, well, we'll go just ahead. To add to what you were talking about with Seth Rich, the murder's not solved. There there are no suspects. Right. It's an open murder investigation. It'd be one thing if we saw somebody arrested and charged for the murder. I can see where they would be in a position to say, you know, this is ridiculous. Stop, um, you know, hurting the family by by continuing to to. You know, bring up the the memory of their mur- of the murder of their son but that's not the case the family still has not gotten any answers the police have not gotten any answers and they seem to be refusing to investigate potential leads and just flat out uh, saying they're conspiracy theorists before right. even clearing those leads of, of any uh, suspicion I, I, I did you know joe I, I did see a um that news clip and i I have no reason to doubt its authenticity. It was from ABC or it was one of ABC or NBC uh, or CBS. Back, this was subsequent to the murder. In fact, it could have been last month or perhaps May, where one of the newscast a newscaster, a well-known newscaster, was saying that there was that that the uh, Washington uh, District of Columbia Police Department (MPD) had found no evidence on Seth Rich's computer to suggest that he was in contact with WikiLeaks. I don't have, to me, that piece of information is incorrect. I don't know where this reporter got that information, but to my knowledge, there has been no formal denial. Right. Because, And even if it was from MPD, it's not MPD that is doing the invest the forensic investigation or has done the forensic investigation on the computer. So while the newscast is correct, I suspect the information is is incorrect. So having said that, that that remains a huge story, folks. So that's another issue that we are we are handling, and we have investigators investigators on working on that. And so you've got, which, by the way, does have, believe it or not, has a relationship to, as tangential as it might be, has a relationship to the larger issue of Pedogate and Pizzagate, the Southridge homicide. It's not, it's not a direct relationship necessarily. It's there's two or three steps between, but nonetheless, it does have some overlap. So to those people who want to say, well, man, you're a real conspiracy theorist, conspiracy nutcase, uh, okay. But when the facts come out, and they will come out, I, I can promise you on this, because some of these, some of the information that, that's about ready to come out is is going, is going to be very, very hot. Uh, I, I can tell you that there are a lot of people that are going to be very, very concerned. The Pedogate aspect two is somewhat tied to the wiener uh, devices but that's only again at a at a uh, two or three degree four degree of separation it, it's not there, there's no direct relationship there some of the same people are involved in the different circles if I'm confusing you it's not intentional I guess what I'm saying is this you've got multiple cases and it's interesting how some of the same people kind of pop up in each particular investigation, but not in the same capacity, not in the same context. So we're connecting a lot of dots here in in these individual cases. 
they comprise the same people, and it gets a little bit, it really kind of messes with your head, I suppose, is a good way of saying it. But watch the, watch, not, not, not the people you would expect to say, well, that's just bogus. Snopes, the leftists, the wingnuts, the people who don't want to see this brought out. What concerns me are the people, and, and this is all part of it as well, the people who are going after Sean Hannity. And, and I, I'll, I'll, I gotta say this, Sean Hannity is under fire in a big way right now. Um, I, I know many, not many, but several people who said, oh, Sean Hannity has been fired in, at Fox. Well, obviously that's not the case. I, I don't believe that to be the case. I believe that there is trouble there, and I know that that knowing what I know on the backside, which I, I really, I can only talk about so much because of the legalities of things, there's a lot of stuff going on in the background with Sean Hannity, with uh, the serial stalkers, plural, but uh, you know one in particular, the people who are going after Sean's sponsors, specifically to get him knocked off of Fox, the internal war inside of Fox. What they're attempting to do is dismantle, of course, Fox News, and going after Sean Hannity. Dismantle Fox News by going by going after Sean Hannity, and what you're going to have left is is kind of a uh, conservative view, the view program, you know the view, not conservative viewpoint, but like the view, you know, with the five and and, and the jovial aspect of things, as opposed to a hard hitting news conservative program. So that's where we're at with this. So there's a lot of things taking place against Sean Hannity as well, and I, we've got to stick with Sean. And by the way, speaking of Sean Hannity and other news personalities, to my knowledge, the um, ban, the London-UK ban against Michael Savage is still going on. Why? You know, he had, he had a, a, a slaughter, a jihadist a slaughter, Muslim massacre in London, two in 12 days, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. And, and Michael Savage is banned from going to London because, and, and, you know... Are going to England, the UK, and now uh, Trump uh, could yes. be banned from going to London. There's an interesting article up on the Daily Caller. It appears as if the real crime in London was Donald Trump's tweet. Yeah, and it goes on to talk about how the media has been hammering President Donald Trump for criticizing the London mayor, uh, Sadiq Khan, for de- declaring in a video statement after the latest terror attack in London that there will be an increased police presence over the course of the next few days. And, uh, Trump went on, and, and also said there's no reason to be alarmed. Trump went on to tweet about at least seven dead and 48 wounded in terror attacks in London. Says there's no reason to be alarmed, uh, ex- with an exclamation point. And, uh, he was, he was, um, reacting to Khan saying there's no reason to be alarmed. Well, why is there an increased police presence? Why has there been so many terrorist attacks in, in Europe? Uh, and they seem to be increasing. But now, the Khan is calling for, uh, for the, not to roll the red carpet out for Donald Trump. Right. Because of his attitude is an attitude that spreads division and hate rather than the message that they say they are, um, bringing out, which is, you know, unity, uh, and, um, living in a, in a peaceful society. Obviously there's a problem. We have, uh, Tara from Reality Calls on with us 
from good before we bring her on i just want to mention the portions of the nice broadcast brought to you by policygenius.com policygenius.com the best online life insurance marketplace on the internet that's policygenius.com let's bring tara on it's where it's late or early in the day uh in london depending on what you're yeah tara mccarthy from reality calls welcome back to the show are you there Tara, can you hear us? How's our connection to London? Not sure what's going on, but we'll try All to right. bring her back. Um, and Tara, when you when you get reconnected or whatever, just jump right in. Want to hit this piece, uh, I guess, in in place until we get Tara ready. This is on from the Indianapolis Star, the IndyStar dot com. Somebody put a, a Muslim, an anti-Muslim billboard up. Oh, I saw that in yeah. Indianapolis. That. Uh, Indian Muslims call out creators of local billboard that insults the Prophet Muhammad. And what's interesting about this article, it's titled The Perfect Man, The Billboard in Indianapolis. And it lists a few um, facts about the, the Prophet Muhammad. I think wait, wait, there are six, and they're yeah. all verified by the Quran or the Hadith. Right, but what's interesting about this report is they have a, a, a congressman, a senator, and the leader of some local... Uh, Muslim Alliance of Indiana all commenting on this they they continue to say that this is not true but it's interesting you know they they say uh one person says oh I don't believe this is true another person says yeah I I think this is this is not true but the as you said all these claims you can verify uh yourself and are actually in there Holy religious texts if you want to call them holy, but, but see, holy yeah, the, the objection is not to the factual nature yeah, well, that's what they're making an issue of. They're saying it's not true. Well, but if I just started yeah. to go through each claim for myself, and you can trace it right sure. back, as you said. Excuse me. Yeah, it, it's. Do we have Tara? Tara, are you with us? Hello. Hey, there, there she go. is. Okay, great. All right. Well, it's great to have you, Tara McCarthy from. Excuse me. From Reality Call. Yes, from London. I meant to say. Reality. Yes, Call. great to join you again. Thank you. It's uh, it's great to have you, uh, Tara. What, t- talk to us. What's going on in London, UK, uh, since the the attacks of Saturday? Right. So we had these attacks at London Bridge in central London, um, mainly targeted at people um, either walking home from work late or you know beginning to go out um, to a pub or clubbing or whatever, um, and it was. You know, many different methods of attack they used. It was clearly orchestrated. Um, but what's, you know, what's kind of shocking is that it, this comes so soon after the Manchester bombing, where they went and bombed a load of young, very young girls, some as young as about um, eight, if I remember correctly, uh, who were watching an Ariana Grande concert. Um, and what our politicians have been saying is uh, this isn't going to change anything. We're not going to let them affect us. We're just going to keep going on and continue as normal. This, you know, and they keep repeating this kind of thing. Um, but the problem is that we're just going to have more and more terrorist attacks from now on. Like, I can see it. I think most anyone who has half a brain can see it. Uh, yet we're being told, no, this is totally normal. This is what you should expect in a big city. Um, you know, we, every time the politicians act as though they're so shocked, um, but people such as myself, and I'm sure you guys as well, um, 
you know that, like, this is just to be expected when you just open the gates to a load of jihadis. You know, what strikes me as insane is at least two of the three were known to the local intelligence agencies. Perhaps all three were. Uh, even under surveillance. E- yes, even even to the extent where under, they were under, under surveillance. What, Tara, what's... You're exactly right, but what is going to, what's it going to take for people to, to really comprehend the fact that we're letting in, you're letting in, we're letting in people with murderous ideologies? Well, we're constantly getting the message from the mainstream media that, um, these people are victims, you know, and if they decide to blow us up, it's actually our fault because we didn't make them feel welcome enough. It's this very weird kind of uh, Stockholm Syndrome going on. Um, so we're constant. I, um, when I say things like, you know, this is a problem that's innate with Islam, like this is not a problem that's happening with any other religious group, this is a problem that's happening with Islam. And if I say something like that on Twitter, I have a load of people attacking me, threatening to report me to police for Islamophobia. Um, bef- uh, just as the Muslim, as the, uh, sorry, Manchester bombing was happening, I was saying, look, this has happened again, it's just another Muslim attack, we all know it. And that's what I was, um, tweeting out, and, uh, the response I got back was, you know, my tweet went viral. I basically had to shut, you know, temporarily shut down my Twitter account because I was being inundated by British people so eager to defend, uh, you know, the people who were doing the terrorist attack. Um, I don't know if you've seen this actual footage of a recent um, London Bridge attack, but police were going into a restaurant telling people, get down, get down. You know, we think there's a bomb, get down. And one guy said, oh, no, it's the Muslims. And then another guy said, you know, in the process of, you know, basically almost being killed, he said, don't say that. Hmm. So people are even afraid to kill Muslims. Sorry, people are even afraid to offend Muslims when the Muslims are actually trying to kill them, like, at the same time. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, 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 the, the, this, to me, represents something more than just... Uh, bliss or blissful ignorance, I should say. This to me is is almost uh, psychotic. Well, you know, maybe stock. I I I don't know what it, what to call it, but but at what point do you really? Well, how does it make you? How do you feel, Taryn, and and people around you that know what's going on? How does it make you feel when when you are tweeting out? You know, this is a an Islamic terrorist attack, and you're the one getting raked over the coals for calling it like it is. Um, and being called a hate monger for doing so. I I feel like I'm living in a madhouse over here. It's it's crazy. There are actually there are, there are literally um, Muslim protests where you get huge th- numbers of Muslims, hundreds if not thousands, walking in huge groups carrying ISIS flags, and our own police are protecting them. Um, protecting their right to go around carrying ISIS flags, yet I'm not allowed to say, hey, this is enough of Muslim terrorism. Let's stop this now. Right. Just imagine this taking place during World War II and and someone unfurling, we'll say, a Nazi flag or even a Japanese flag. This It wouldn't have happened back then. I think the mentality of people was, was a lot different. Um, but but again, I, I don't certainly don't want to take your time up here. Uh, I, how is it that you're able to continue to to get your story out, your 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 
Twitter messages out without that knock on the door being in, in the UK. That concerns me a lot. I was thinking about yeah. you on Sunday when uh, when this was going on. Well, in the case with that tweet, when it went viral, I actually had to delete that tweet. Um, so, you know, I was stuck between do I want to help get this message out? Because obviously when something goes viral, it's good because it means more people are going to see it. But on the other hand, I'm being attacked like so viciously by these insane British people who are, call, you know, calling me the hateful person um, that I'm afraid that they're going to report this tweet and that I'm going to be arrested for it. So I actually had to delete that tweet. Uh, and that's just normal. Like I, I routinely have to take down videos uh, that I do because... Um, you know, I get threats from people uh, or, or even groups saying, you know, we think that this is um, this is hate speech or whatever. So I just have to, I, I am literally on the very line, you know, towing the line to <laughs> as far as I can. Um, what I'm trying, trying to get the message out. Tara, how can we best help you um, as a as a journalist? How can the Hagman Report and our audience best help you? That's part one of a two-part question. And second of all, um, what can we do for the people of the U.K., uh, if anything? So Yeah, you know, um, Americans obviously have freedom of speech. I think, unfortunately, a lot of Americans slightly take that for granted. They don't realize how important it is. You don't realize how important that is until you have it taken away from you. And then you suddenly realize that you can't even speak out even to save your own people. Or, um, for example, when the mainstream media, I think we all know that the mainstream media has their own agenda. They have their own views they want to push. And if the mainstream media won't talk about something and you're legally not allowed to talk about it, then it's just not getting spoken about and you just can't address that problem as a society, your democracy is basically worthless because how can people vote on policies and issues that they don't even understand or aren't informed about because no one's allowed to speak about it? So I would actually ask Americans, please, you, you know, when, you, when you're on social media, use it um, to help people in Europe as well. All right. T- Tara, thank you so very much. We're going to have to have you back on again. Yeah. I know you're coming on next week, I believe. That's right. Okay, we're looking forward to it. Please stay safe, Tara. Please stay safe, and and please keep doing what you're doing. We love you, and we we really think a lot of your reporting, and we we can't wait to have you back on. Thank you. All right. Good. Bye-bye. Tara McCarthy from London. The website is? Did you say it was realitycalls.com? Really? Show.com. Reality calls show.com. Right. right. I never right. messed that up, but you had it. <laughs> no, I didn't have it. I don't have it in front of me. Folks, we'll be right back after this network break. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Doug Hagman, Joe Hagman, together we are something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. Boa Taya, this, uh, this, this guest, uh, Peter Barry Chauka. He's an, he's an author for The American Thinker, writer for the contributor for The American Thinker. But he's, uh, he's, he's a journalist. He's been reporting on alternative medicine for more than 20 years. Uh, he's been reporting on American politics from DC, inside DC. He's appeared on numerous programs. You, you recognize, I'm sure you recognize his name and, and you recognize him, um, just from, uh, even some of his documentary films, PBS The Cancer War back in 83, uh, and on and on and on. But I'm not going to take time up, uh, to sing his praises. Peter Barry Chauka, welcome to the program, sir. Thank you, Doug. It's uh, an honor and a pleasure to be uh, able to join you and Joe tonight. 
Oh, it's great to have you, my friend. You know, I've been reading your material on American Thinker for a long time, and uh, you recently hit some really, really big home runs. Your latest, I believe, was um, the end of May, which was titled, Will This Be the Week That Was for the Fox News Channel? And that really caught my attention because you really captured the behind-the-scenes elements of the uh, the media, what's taking place there, and all of the moving parts that, well, that are attempting to take down the uh, the conservative media, the truthful media. So I just want to congratulate you on that. Uh, Thank you, Doug. It's uh, you know I appreciate uh, the forum that American Thinker provides and the uh, thousands, many thousands of uh, intelligent readers like yourself. Well, it, you know, and I could, and again, I could sing your praises for, for quite some time because the research, the investigation that you've done and you do for your, your articles, for your pieces all across the, uh, uh, landscape is, the depth is incredible and the accuracy is unmatched in my view. Now, having said all of that, we've got so much that is taking place all across, whether it's domestically, internationally, the politics to, to to medicine to you know of course boy did I have a, you know saw that up close and personal recently uh, where do you want to start because I, I, I this is the first time your first time on our program and I'm so honored to have you we're so honored to have you on our program where do you want to start what's on your heart um, coming into tonight's program for the segment that we have together. Well, it's interesting that uh, these last articles of mine, three of them about the Fox News Channel in American Thinker, caught your attention, and and thank God they caught the attention of a lot of other readers as well. And I guess they came about because I've been uh, uh, interested in the media, actually since I was in grade school, and that was a long time ago. I had my first tape recorder when I was eight years old. I was taping radio programs from New York City and pretending to be a disc jockey myself. And then when I was in college in Washington, D.C., I worked at the FM radio station that was associated with Georgetown University, where I studied English. And it was a regular FM station that could be heard throughout the city and in the surrounding states. And that gave me the ability as a student journalist with a Metropolitan Police D.C. press pass to pretty much cover any event that I wanted. So I, I at an early age... I had a tremendous amount of first-hand experience, including a, a number of White House press conferences I attended. Uh, I could go to the White House on an event-by-event basis uh, under the Nixon regime. And just observing what was going on then with my young, naive perspective created memories and impressions that have never left me and that are still in many ways true today. The incredible elitism and arrogance of the top press and media people. Of course, it's worse today, but it was bad then, too. I remember in the White House press room arriving there for my first press conference and hanging out there before we were taken over to the East Room and trying to strike up a conversation with some of the august reporters who I recognized from the New York Times or the Washington Post or the networks. And they, they really wouldn't speak to you if they didn't know you. The, the only people who would speak to me were the techs, the technicians who were running the cameras or the sound equipment. I've never wow. forgotten that. 
And, uh, you know, it's, it's obviously the same, if not on steroids today, with these people at the upper echelons making salaries that are just unbelievable. They make uh, some of the top network or cable news people make more for one broadcast than the average American makes in three years of working. They make like $200,000 per broadcast. It's unimaginable. So how can we expect these people to give us anything closer to the closer to the truth? Now, I focused on Fox News last month mm-hmm. because I've been paying attention to Fox News since they started in 1996. It was obviously a breath of fresh air at the time and otherwise left-wing media wasteland, and and Fox News, within five years, grew to lead the pack, and for the next 15 years, from the early 2000s until last year, or actually until this year, it was the number one rated cable news channel. So what happened? And I, I actually pay attention to the ratings. It's one of my hobbies. I'm curious to see how the cable news ratings are doing. So in early May, I noticed after the departure of Bill O'Reilly, on I think April 19th it was when he was uh, fired from Fox News, that the ratings were starting to tank for Fox. And CNN and MSNBC were coming up, and it was a real dogfight. And uh, I compared for my first American Thinker article on May 19th this year, the ratings from a typical mid-May day this year to a mid-May day last year, 2016. And the ratings were shocking. Uh, Fox News in prime time was beating its competition, CNN and MSNBC, uh, by more than two to one. I mean, Fox was beating both CNN and MSNBC together one year ago. This year on, I think the date I chose was uh, May 12th or so, uh, Fox News was coming in last, with the exception of one program between uh, 4 p.m. and midnight Eastern time, the one program being The Specialist's the new show at 5 p.m., which is mind-boggling because that's one of the worst programs on their schedule now. (laughs) But anyway, this set off an alarm bell in me, and I proposed to the editor-publisher of American Thinker. Well, first I called his attention to the ratings, and he did a piece on it for the blog in American Thinker in early May, kind of scooping a lot of the rest of the media, which has since jumped on the story for their own reasons. And then he invited me to do a series of articles, and now I I feel like I've got uh, carte blanche to continue writing on uh, Fox News for American Thinkers, so I'm I'm monitoring it very, very closely. Although, as an aside, I should point out that last night's ratings for the cable news channels, amazingly, Fox News was number one in the demographic that they measure, the viewers who are between ages 25 and 54, which is the preferred demographic for advertisers and the businesses for some reason. But it's still a dogfight. The CNN and MSNBC are close behind, and I think this is a momentary blip, but we will see what happens in the days and weeks ahead. Okay, I've got so many questions uh, uh, for you about this. My one question is with respect to Bill O'Reilly. In your estimation, based on what you've researched and investigated, was his departure was that uh, warranted based on the the evidence that you, that you saw or the facts that you uncovered? It's a good question. It's difficult to really give a definitive answer because we don't know what went on. Uh, first, to, to roll back to last year and the departure of Roger Ailes, which is related. Roger Ailes is the uh, brilliant guru behind the Fox News channel for 20 years. He was fired because of 
allegations by several women that he had harassed them. Uh, the only actual uh, legal brief I could find relating to that was one by Andrea Tanteros, who uh, claimed she was uh, uh, dismissed and then filed her claim, which has not been uh, uh, settled by Fox News or in court. And I have to say there was no there there. And I'm not an attorney, but the most that she and her lawyer could come up with was that for Roger Ailes, he asked her one day to uh, turn around so he could look at her, fully clothed, so he could get a look at her figure. And that was sexual harassment in her view, when obviously part of the reason she was hired and the other women of Fox News, because they're attractive young women who look good in short, tight dresses. That's just the reality. Not That's to say they're not smart. They are smart. But anyway, uh, Bill O'Reilly, the New York Times, uh, uh, sent him a uh, kill shot, I believe it was April 1st this year, and a huge story which set him up, and it reported that uh, reportedly, according to their sources, Fox News and Bill O'Reilly had paid out $13 million in settlements to keep several women quiet because of their internal allegations of sexual harassment against O'Reilly. Now, none of that has been brought to the fore publicly. Uh, the settlements have been made, which go with uh, uh, confidentiality. The women can't speak out. Fox can't speak out. We haven't seen any legal briefs. We haven't seen any evidence. And O'Reilly is maintaining his innocence. So I really have to defer judgment and say that I wish... He could have had his day in court or something so that we'd know more so that we could make a judgment. And, exactly. of course, behind, behind this effort, in addition, we have to keep in mind, is a, a lineup of opponents of Fox News and any conservative media, whether they're all right on the web, uh, like your show, I'm, I'm mm -hmm. sure, uh, they're gunning for them and they're gunning for us. And Fox News is the most successful and they want to bring them down. And in the last couple of months, they've gone a long way towards doing that. Now, I was never a particular fan of O'Reilly's show. Actually, I used to, um, scream at this, uh, <laughs> tube a lot of times or the tube, the flat screen. Say, you know, uh, he's got to go. They got to get somebody else in there, but be careful what you wish for because what we've got now is worse. And the guy did build up an incredible show, 20 years, 15 years, number one show on all of cable news. I mean, that says something, and he has a tremendous audience. I noticed, by the way, my American Thinker articles have um, resulted in about 1,600 reader comments for the three articles at American yes. Thinker, and I love reading those. I read every one of them. It's like a huge focus group. And a lot of the readers have come forward and said they are dedicated to Bill O'Reilly, that when he left, they have, are giving up on Fox News. So that is an interesting insight right there, I think. What a dynamic that, that is. A couple of things that, that came to mind as you were talking. N number one, with respect to Bill O'Reilly and Roger Ailes, of course, the larger situation with um, with legal suits, I know from experience, um, quite frankly, that uh, um, sometimes, well, many times, you're hit with nuisance suits. And 
oftentimes your attorneys, the insurance companies, uh, that cover you if you have insurance. Of course, they'll say, look, it's going to cost us so much more to fight this, but we can get rid of it for X amount of dollars. On balance, get rid of it, settle, be done with it. It's a nuisance in your, in your, but the fact is you just, you know, have to adhere to all these, these confidentiality agreements. Personally, okay, me personally, because I, I'm in this situation, and, and folks, I'm going to tell you flat out right now, I'm in a situation where, where, uh, you know, I'm facing a, a, a huge, multi-million dollar legal action. I ain't backing down. I'm fighting. 100% all the way. But, 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 but see, and I don't have deep pockets, but I'll mortgage everything I own, and, and, and you know, I'll, I'll fight to the death. I'll, I'll get a paper route to pay my legal expenses before I would settle any legal suit. But, but having said that, um, boy, now I, I kind of got off, knocked off track. I, I, I guess the bottom line here is, is, is that a tactic of, of, of the, Opponents of free speech is to is to engage in lawfare like this. Absolutely, and of course, regarding Fox News, we have the additional wrinkle of the fact that with the departure of Roger Ailes and with the departure of his deputy Bill Shine, who was fired in April, uh, the leadership of the Fox News channel is now apparently in the hands of international media mogul Rupert Murdoch's two sons, who by all accounts, these are two guys in their 40s, by all accounts, they are much farther to the left of Rupert Murdoch, who founded Fox News and conservative papers in the UK and owns the Wall Street Journal, and he's he's kind of conservative, although we don't know exactly how much, but we do know that his sons are more liberal, and I think that uh, they are making their stamp. They're putting their stamp on Fox News now, and they just, you know, so they they have the additional reason of, hey, let's just dump O'Reilly, clean the place up, get some more left-wing folks in there, you know, tinker with it, and uh, we'll be more presentable to our our friends on the Upper East Side or Georgetown cocktail parties. Uh Okay. So that's where that's very, going. And, you know, all you have to well do said. is if you're a, a dedicated viewer of Fox News, and, you know, I still am. I have it on a lot of hours, often with the sound off, but as I'm multitasking, it's, it's on one of the monitors. And you can detect a subtle but unmistakable shift to the left. Many of their new yes. hires as paid contributors are bona fide left-wing folks who have very little to offer. Meanwhile, they have let go the Democrat uh, contributors, or they're not using them anymore, like Patrick Cadell, and they are using, to some extent, uh, Doug Schoen. They used to have a Sunday show, The Political Insiders, that went on for four or five years. It was, for me, the go-to show of the week at 7.30 Eastern Time every Sunday. It, it disappeared without a trace after the election. It was gone. Now, Schoen is still a contributor and pops up occasionally, uh, Patrick Cadell, I haven't seen, and John Lubutile, who is the third host of that segment, who's a Republican former member of Congress, has also been expunged, apparently, from Fox News. So that was a tremendous loss of one of the, the best segments. And they even had a, a couple of special shows for an hour, tryouts on the weekend about a year or so ago. Uh, and there were two Democrats, Schoen and Cadell, who were reasonable guys, kind of old-time liberals, 
people with a 60s and 70s mentality, and they didn't buy into this left-wing communist uh, meme that the Democratic Party is trying to sell us today, and they're gone. Interesting. Wow. So, so they're they're opening the door for the more radical, uh, progressive communists. Meanwhile, taking out the intellectual moderates, I suppose. Yeah, and another good example is this program at five o'clock Eastern time, which replaced the show The Five, which is now on in prime time at nine p.m. Eastern. Right. That's one of the biggest programming mistakes in the history of uh, cable news, I would say. But anyway, at for, five p.m. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. You're right. I <laughs> and, love it. And thank God Bob Beckel was fired a couple of weeks ago, who was a mainstay of the five again. But uh, now we get to see Juan Williams five days a week. But Juan Williams, by the way, who helped to, in, in his writing of Eyes on the Prize, that PBS series from the 1980s, he took some radicals like Malcolm X and the Black Panthers and gave them a mainstream patina and put them into the stratosphere, and uh, we have Juan Williams to largely thank uh, for that. Every time you see a Malcolm X uh, Boulevard somewhere in the United States, you can thank uh, Juan Williams. Anyway, uh, the program that replaced the five called The Specialists, when I heard that Eric Bowling would be, I thought he was going to actually be his show, but no, he's one of three hosts, and he has been kind of downscaled by the other two hosts. Both of them are 28 years old. Uh, an African-American attorney named Ebony uh, Williams, I believe, certainly a, a smart young woman, but she's to the left of center and very strong-willed, very alpha female who, I mean, it's lucky if, if bowling can get a word in. And bowling, in my opinion, was the best uh, person on The Five, the show that he was on for four or five years there. And the other person on The Specialist at 5 p.m., is Catherine Cat Kempf, who is a 28-year-old comedian who made her uh, claim to fame on the departed comic show Red Eye on Fox News in the middle of the night and on Greg Gutfeld's show. And now she's a bona fide host of this 5 p.m. news chat show, and it's absolutely unwatchable, in my opinion. It's a joke and a wow. bad joke at that. I mean, where's that baseball going? Folks. Yeah, yeah, it, it, you're, you're laying this out perfectly, by the way, inside baseball information for listeners with respect to the assault against the uh, uh, conservative media, specifically in this case, Fox News. I didn't mean to interrupt there, but I, I wanted to just uh, uh, give the compass setting heading for uh, the, the listeners and viewers. Okay. So, well, if we can, because I know our time is short, and we could listen. I could listen to you like all day long. Uh, what about Sean Hannity at this point? What's your take on what's what's happening to him? Well, there I will give a prediction because, uh, I mean, as he said last night in closing his show, and I have Liz Crokin to thank for this. She put it on her Twitter, which, by the way, I think she's doing for Twitter what Matt Drudge did for the web, in my opinion. But uh, Sean signed off his show last night saying, quote, we'll see you tomorrow if they'll have me back, end quote. He said something like that several times now to close out his Fox News show at 10 p.m. Eastern. And uh, I, I just think that Fox News is changing uh, incrementally but inexorably 
that it's going to be too uncomfortable for him to continue. I doubt that they'll actually fire him, but I think there'll come a day when he just won't be able to maintain there. And we saw that already happen to a degree last month when, to his credit, he latched on to the story of Seth Rich, the first and only one, in my uh, knowledge, at Fox News National to go with that. On May 15th, 16th, Fox uh, Channel 5 DC did uh, an incredible story uh, citing Rod Wheeler, as you reported on, I believe, uh, trying to break open uh, and, and reignite the interest and investigation of the Seth Rich uh, murder. And, uh, and by the way, that was an example of how local media, and Channel 7 in DC is also doing some reporting on that, Local media still has the hope on occasion of breaking through the gridlock at the national level. But anyway, Hannity picked on, up on it. The next day he had Rod Wheeler on his show for a six-minute segment. And I just checked that today. That is That video is still online. It's linked in one of my American Thinker articles, I believe, the uh, last one, May 30th. People should check that out before it disappears. That is but correct. a week later, Fox News retracted a story that they had published based on Rod Wheeler and the local Fox DC report. The local Fox 5 DC report is still online. Fox News has retracted and expunged its story. And uh, the next night after that, I believe it was, or the next week, uh, Seth, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Sean Hannity had to say that he was withdrawing from covering uh, any more about the Seth Rich case, speaking about it for this while. And he cited the... Uh, uh, pleas of Seth Rich's parents, and he was honoring them. And he is talking right. about it on Twitter. I believe he's mentioning it on his radio show limitedly, but he's been constrained there. And we'll see if he'll be able to break out of that and say anything more about the Seth Rich case. I really wonder. But I think he's being hamstrung and uh, straightjacketed there and you know, how long will he be able to put up with that? I mean, at the moment, he's got a strong show. He's actually doing better than anybody else in the primetime ratings of Fox News. And I have much more respect for Sean now. I have to say that. And I check out his show closely every night, but I, I just hope he can keep on with it there. And if not, maybe looking to the future, another channel will arise. There's the One America Network now, which has done several probing reports on the Seth Rich case. They're small, but they're an upstart. Right. Liz There's, Wheeler, um, I believe. Yep, yep. Right. Yep. There's uh, a Sinclair, which is trying to expand its uh, footprint with Cheryl Atkinson, one of the best investigative journalists we have in the United States, formerly CBS News. We have yep. Newsmax TV, which is somewhat more amateurish, but they're out there. But, you know, a point I wanted to make before we close, and I've been thinking about this a lot since I got the invitation several days ago that we'd be meeting here tonight, and I've really been thinking about this, and I think, you know, this could be a turning point, what's happening with Fox News, the essential loss of Fox News as a go-to place for credible conservative reporting, and I think that's just going to be the way it has to be. This could be the, the paradigm shift that has to happen, the crack in the castle wall. Now, we've known for years now, for a number of years, 
that our information, you, Doug, me, others who are really into this news junkies, it's not coming primarily from any network, including Fox News. It's coming from the Internet. It's coming from alt-right media. It's coming from podcasts. It's coming from programs like yours. And that is only going to grow. And as it grows, we're going to have less and less need for these mega-corporate transnational entities that give us the teleprompter red news night after night, even Fox News. As, as imperfect as they are, as good as they've been along the way, they are not the whole ball of wax. And we really have to double down and look elsewhere for the news and the truth that hopefully is going to save our ass. Oh, boy, boy you said it all. Peter Barry Schauke. Did, did, did I slaughter your last name? Schauke? No, that's right. Schauke, okay. you've got it. Schauke. Can I just okay. say uh, quickly in closing, if uh, sure. for, your, for your listeners, I set up two uh, easy URLs they can go to. One that links to the archive of my American Thinker articles, and that's tinyurl.com backslash pcathinker. P-C-A-T-H-I-N-K-E-R. And the other one is a somewhat expanded bio of myself, which has some links to other articles, and that's also tinyurl.com backslash pbcbio17, the number 17 at the end. tinyurl.com slash pbcbio17. So I'd invite anyone who wants a little bit more insight into what I've been doing to check out those two URLs. I will personally uh, uh, edit this segment, make it a standalone segment, connect it to those two URLs, and uh, broadcast it widely. Because uh, thank you, Doug. I'll tell you what you've got. Your information is second to none in my view. Thank you so much for your gift of time. We're going to have you back again if you, if if you'll come on. Absolutely, any time. All right, brother. Thank you, God. God bless you and your family, and best wishes to uh, Mrs. Hagman. Thank you so very much. God bless. Folks, we're right back, Sarah, where you're at. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable, it's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces, it's durable, it's EMP proof, and it's environmentally friendly, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid. When other power sources aren't available, anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke 
helpless, fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas for fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 PreciousTimberProfits.com PreciousTimberProfits.com And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. One of my favorite people, too, John Haller. John Haller is with us. He's joining us right now. John, I'm going to kick it over to you to bring him on because I remember being at a conference with John back in, when was it? Mm-hmm. It was, it was 2014. 2014. 2014. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, 2014, and uh, that was in, in Columbus, Ohio, I believe. And um, yeah, John Haller is a is a great guy. We got again, we got a chance to meet him personally, and uh, we're going to talk about a number of things on the show tonight. We got a, a diverse range of topics, and folks, check out the website DenverProphecySummit.com. That's DenverProphecySummit.com. And this is a, a conference that will be coming up in August. And you can get all the information there. Israel and the Apocalypse, August 4th through the 6th. Again, at Denver C- DenverProphecySummit.com. Mr. Haller, it's great to have you back on the show. Thanks. Great to be with you guys. By the way, the, Chad Schaefer, who you'll have on your show tomorrow night, is one of the speakers at that conference as well, along with uh, Doug Krieger, Doug Hamp, and... Doug Woodward and a bunch of other guys. So I, I'll try to name, I would try to name them all, but I would forget too many of them and then they would, they would get on my case about that. So, you know, I gotta, John, I gotta tell you, um, Chad sent us his book and in, inside the front cover, he wrote, uh, Chad from Indiana and it immediately <laughs> hit me and Joe and I were together and I said, Joe. And he looked at me and he said, Dad. And we said, "Oh, this is Chad from Indiana," and he. And so it was so amazing to know that what three, four, five years ago, he would call in as Chad from Indiana. Yeah, regular caller. And and now the the, the tremendous work, and I'm glad he's going to be part of your speaking uh, uh, group. So that's great. <coughs> I told him. I told him I would tee everything up for him tonight. And he could, or, he, or get it wrong, and he could come in and clear things up tomorrow. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I've never, I, I don't think I've ever heard you speak anything incorrect. Uh, some some people might take issue with uh, some doctrinal things, but uh, on the whole, no, I don't, I don't think so. So, but where do you want to start? Well, let's start with. Uh, I'm a lawyer. And, uh, so we can talk about some legal things for a little bit. You're not going to sue us, are you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to sue you, but right. I'm telling you what's going on in Washington and with our courts and the prosecutors and the leaks and everything is I'm, I'm shocked. I'm gobsmacked. I don't even know where to begin to describe how upsetting all of this makes me. Uh, the travel ban. That, that President Trump put in place as he was constitutionally and legislatively allowed to do by law and under which the law says that the courts cannot review his decision. The courts went ahead and reviewed the decision and based their opinion on his tweets that he made or his statements that he made during the campaign. It's, it's the most ludicrous thing I've ever seen. And for this, for all of this to be going up to appeal on the Supreme Court at the time that frankly, London and England and Great Britain and Paris are in meltdown in some respects in their culture, in their society, in their politics over massive Muslim immigration and for, and we can't do anything about it in our country because of these ridiculous judges who are overstepping their bounds. You had done before, um, and, and as a matter of fact, this very topic is the issue uh, that you were speaking of on your YouTube channel, Fellowship Bible Chapel, uh, I believe is the name. F, yeah, fpchapel.com. Right, okay. Uh, you could find the YouTube stuff, just type in my name or Fellowship Bible Chapel. Okay, because here's the thing, I was, I was on, I was on, I was searching news, it was 4.30, and this is a true story, it was 4.30 on a Monday morning, I'm searching the news, uh, 4.30 Eastern time, looking at different things, and I came across a forum that had a link to your, uh, Prophecy Current Events video. So I hit that, knowing you, I, I hit the link to that, and I was watching it, and you were talking about, in part, this issue and and such, and and you were just hitting every single um, that the the uh, the lawsuits, the the, the um, uh, refugee, if that's what you want to call it. So I called John, or I sent John an email. I mean, as soon as I got done watching it, I said, "You got to get John on because uh, this is key key stuff," and. That was at, uh, it was about six o'clock in the morning Eastern time. And of course he's three hours behind us. Uh, I got, I got noti- notified like three and a half, four hours later that you were coming on. So anyway, so yeah, uh, you're right. This is a key issue. Um, and you said, John, the that there, I mean, that there is no, to begin with, there's no legal recourse that these, uh, under the law, there's no, uh, his executive order should be able to stand that the court should not be able to interfere at all. The statute that, well, it, first of all, uh, foreign policy issues like this are constitutionally uh, given to the president to exercise his discretion. There is some um, constitutional authority that Congress can enact legislation as well, which Congress did um, 
I don't know when it was enacted. Let's just say it was 50 years ago. And one of the things they did was they said that the courts will not be able to review the, the, the president's decision. This happened back in 1979 or 80 when Jimmy Carter, our great friend Jimmy Carter, was president. Uh, when the Iranian Revolution occurred, he went in and he, there was a, there was a fairly famous case of four Iranian students. Carter revoked all visas for any Iranian to enter the United States. These Iranian students were in the Detroit area. They went across the bridge to Windsor, Canada to, I don't know, maybe drink or I, I don't know what. They went over to Windsor, Canada, and they tried to come back. And because their visas had been revoked in the time between they went over to Canada and when they tried to come back, they were not allowed to enter the country. There was um, litigation about it to try to get them back. And the courts at that time said, no, we, we can't even review President Carter's decision. That That jurisdiction has been removed for us. For example, federal courts are courts of limited jurisdiction. Uh, they are allowed to have suits between citizens of different states because everybody thinks that, well, uh, you're in Pennsylvania, I'm in Ohio. So if I sued you in Pennsylvania because I'm from Ohio, I wouldn't get a fair shot so I could bring suit in federal court because it's supposedly more fair. Uh, but they put limitations on that. Now you have to have um, $100,000 or more in controversy before you can bring court case in front of the court, or you, if you're sued in state court and it's between citizens of different states, you can remove it to federal court. So there's even limitations on that. There are federal question cases that arise under the Constitution and laws of the United States that can be brought in federal court. But the courts could take away diversity jurisdiction, I think, if they wanted to. And all legal scholars would probably agree with that. Congress could limit, can limit the types of cases that get into federal court. I think they would be with it. Now, this would never happen. This is in, in today's culture. They could limit uh, a restricted case about uh, same-sex marriage from having any jurisdiction in federal courts. Now, but the problem is that we now have a bunch of judges who've been trained in law schools for many years that don't believe, they, they believe the Constitution is sort of like one of those little claymation dolls that they can bend into any shape that they want. And this is exactly what happened in the travel ban cases, not only in Hawaii in the Ninth Circuit, in uh, Oregon or Washington in the Ninth Circuit, but the Fourth Circuit also, and that's based out of Richmond, Virginia, they also said that Trump's travel ban was improper. So the courts are, the courts are mainly overstepping bounds. This is, this is constitutional. Okay. What can Trump do about it? Trump, Trump can probably effectively slow things down to get around it, but He's kind of stuck. The way things are now, he's stuck in courts. I think the Supreme Court will overturn it, uh, but maybe I'm naive about that. It's it's so the decisions on this are so bad. We would have laughed at them in my first year of law school on federal procedure and constitutional law. There, it's 
they're juvenile, they're stupid, and the, the, the remedy, if Congress had the, uh, I know there's a term I could use, but, uh, if they had the guts to do it, they could, they could impeach these judges because they're acting unconstitutionally and properly, but they don't have enough. You'd have to get two thirds votes. That impeachment process has only been done maybe half a dozen times in the history of the United States. The latest person to be impeached as a federal judge for corruption was a guy named Alcee Hastings, uh, a judge in Florida. He was impeached, removed from office, and then he, then he ran for Congress and got elected to Congress. So, yeah, go um, figure. Uh, <laughs> how does that even work? <laughs> in, 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 okay. Well, Boy. the standards are pretty low for Congress. I mean, you have to be a certain age and that's about it. You can, you can be corrupt. You can be, uh, an idiot, uh, a moron. Um, it, it, it's, it's shocking to me, the people that, that get sent there over and over and over again. Um, it, 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 yeah, it, it's amazing. Now, now get, kind of circling back to uh, uh, the jurisdictional issues, federal court, state court, the courts with respect to uh, the uh, uh, travel ban. And, and, hey, I'll call it a travel ban. Uh, and, and I do believe it should be a called a travel ban and, and a Muslim ban. I have got no problem with that, given the fact that, that Islam is not a religion. It is a... A political organization, uh, in my view, anyway. So it I've has been... religious components to it, but it is right. a comprehensive political and religious system. Exactly. So, okay, but what you're saying, bottom line, uh, Attorney Haller, and our guest is John Haller, attorney and a, just a, uh, a knowledgeable guy. Uh, what can we do about this? I mean, or what can Donald Trump do, or what yeah, should he do? Supreme Court, but but. But uh, look, isn't, the, that, isn't that kind of BS? <laughs> the, yeah, look, I, I think Trump can can work around it at the State Department. Now, look, the the fact that he's done this, the fact that he's done some of the uh, roundups of people that are here illegally that have been convicted of crimes, it really has had a, the impact that a lot of the illegal immigration into the United States has dropped dramatically just from. Uh, the threat that this would be, would, that this is going to happen. And it shows, it shows the impact that the law can have. But what we have on the courts are scoff laws. For example, in the Fourth Circuit, when the travel ban went there, uh, six, they had, they called it an on bank, E-N-B-A-N-C, two words, on bank hearing, which means all the judges in the circuit heard it because it was that important of a case. It's very rare that that happens. And they voted 16 to 3 to uphold the lower court setting aside the travel, whatever the travel, uh, administrative rules that, that Trump had put in place, executive order. Uh, 16 appointed by Democrats, three report, uh, had been appointed by Republicans. And so guess who were in the 16 that voted to uphold the ban and who were in the three that voted to overturn the ban? So this is why the last election of uh, between Trump and Clinton was critical. If Clinton had won, it was it's it's game over in the courts. Uh Trump will have the opportunity to appoint a lot of judges and I I wish he I know he's busy on other things but he really needs to get moving on this and appoint 
I think he has 13 circuit court of appeals judges that he could appoint tomorrow that would have to go through the confirmation process. That really needs to get moving. He's going to get another Supreme Court justice this year, and that could tip the balance of the court for 30 years. So it's very important. Until then, it's a long process. I mean, the courts, you know, the human wrecking ball that Barack Obama was, came in and has appointed his people who think like him to the courts, and it's a massive problem. I'm a litigator. I'm a trial lawyer, and it's changed, Doug. It's changed over my lifetime. We used to go to seminars when I was a young lawyer about how to effectively present facts and to be versed on the law and to know the law of evidence. Our practice seminars now are very often oriented towards how do you appeal to people's emotions. Oh, absolutely. How do you get them emotionally on your side? You have enough familiarity with the court that you know that. And we passed the tipping point there a long time ago, and now we have a whole generation of millennials, and I know not all millennials are bad. I'm generalizing, that have been raised in this culture that everything is driven by, look what's going on on campuses. Everything is driven by feelings. Facts don't matter. Law doesn't matter. And so let's say I go in and pick a jury, and I get, you know, some older people on the jury, and then I have a 12-person jury in federal court. So I get older people on the jury, but I end up with seven millennials. I mean, do you want your fate, your case, your economic future, your freedom in a criminal case decided by people who base everything on their feelings? It's frightening. It is. And you found, and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you, as a trial lawyer, as a litigator, when you do your jury selection process, well, once you have your jury seated, you're not, as you indicated, you're not really going to argue facts. You're going to win the jury over based on emotion and based on feelings rather than facts, which has just totally changed since, well, when you and I were younger. Yeah, which was not as long ago as people might think, but it's different. It's a whole different environment. But the other thing that's happening in litigation, and this is totally off topic, is not that many cases go to trial anymore. I mean, one of the great problems we have, I'm in a pretty big law firm, and one of the problems we have is how do we train young lawyers to be courtroom advocates? Because nothing goes to trial. I have enough trouble getting into court myself. The judges push you to settle, which may or may not be good, but that means nobody's happy. And getting your day in court is increasingly difficult. That's interesting. I really wasn't aware of that. I'm glad you said that. I'm not sure I'm really liking that, but okay. Well, I'll just give you my own personal example. We built a house in Columbus a number of years ago. My office is two blocks away. Now, I get a lot of out-of-town stuff and out-of-state business, but that courthouse was there for probably four or five years before I set foot in it. 
and it's two blocks from my office. Because things, you just, you don't have pretrials like you used to, and everything's filed electronically. Uh, judges don't hold hearings that often. So, I mean, I, I went years without ever setting foot in the local courthouse. Now, I was in plenty of other courthouses up in Cleveland, um, which uh, the design of the courthouse in Cleveland uh, had to be done by somebody that used to design buildings uh, for Russia in the old Eastern Block. It's one of the <laughs> most hideous buildings. I've, you can see it in the, the, the Captain America Winter Soldier movie was filmed. I've been there uh, on the streets on the streets outside the courthouse. It's it's like a mausoleum. It's yeah. just yeah. Well, it's a horrible building. The elevators don't work well and. Uh, yeah, exactly. Anyway, that's, we're way off topic. But. Yeah, well, well, well th- thanks for that 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 overview. I, although we were off topic, I, I certainly enjoyed it. Uh, but Attorney Haller, Mr. Haller, sir, uh, let's get back on tra- on track and topic. Just take it away. Where, where do you where do you want to go here? Well, the the travel ban thing relates to what's going on in London and Paris and other cities in Europe right now with the terrorism attack after terrorism attack after terrorism attack. And for this travel ban, for Trump's actually trying to do something about it. Whether you like him or not, whether you like the midnight tweets or the 2 a.m. tweets, uh, he is doing something about it on this issue, and it is a critical issue. So we have Theresa May... You know, she comes out after the most recent terrorist attack. And I, I really thought um, every now and then she'll say something that I like, but maybe I'm just so desperate for something to grab onto as hope that maybe somebody has a clue as to what's going on that's actually involved in upper echelons of leadership. But she comes out and she doesn't talk about a immigration ban or anything like that. What does she talk about is cracking down on the internet and and you know what's going to happen with that Doug and Joe is that they're going to come in with uh, speech codes and that they're already doing it they're pushing it in Europe and so that's my concern is that while we have a problem the solution isn't to crack down you know they're going to come after people like you me that talk about this thing in pretty stark terms now what needs to happen in the church is people need to put up a hedge of prayer protection for people like us that are trying to bring truth to people on these issues and speaking frankly about them and not trying to mince words. And I think God is protecting us in some ways, but uh, how long that goes, I don't know. I've been talking to some people who are trying to set up some sort of like, you know, how, ISIS has its web that it's hard to get into. I don't know why Christians can't set up something similarly and, and ministries and, and shows, ministries like ours, shows like yours can continue. And I, I think that's going to happen. I think uh, people are finally getting a clue that the freedom that we have on a place like YouTube is fairly tenuous. Exactly. And, and John, we're working on I may as well let the people audience know this as well. Uh, Eric the Tech, uh, John, uh, Global Star is in part, uh, involved in this. We're working on just that thing where we can operate autonomously because we know our days are numbered. I mean, our, uh, the, any revenue 
possible from YouTube has been, we've been decimated. I mean, we're down 80%. So we're working on that. And you'll be hearing more about that. Yeah. And I, I know some other people who are, I can't really divulge their names, but I've had meetings with them and, uh, they're working on it and they're very high tech oriented. They've been involved in some major retail websites. So they know security and that type of thing. So that's happening, but you need, people need to pray about that. People need to support that when, the opportunity arises. Uh, we don't monetize our YouTube channel. Um, you know, it, just about the time we thought, well, maybe we should, maybe I could do something to monetize it. But now I hear stories like yours and other people that uh, the revenue streams have been really cut. I guess and we're censored. Google have enough money. We are we are being censored on YouTube. If, for example, I mean, title tags and description, if they contain uh, Islam, Muslims, or any type of disparaging remarks about Islam or even ISIS, Syria, uh, homosexuality. But trust me, it, it, yeah, it's, I know. We, it's gone. We do it. We avoid those tags as well. Yeah. We stick to Bible prophecy and uh, words that we would be familiar in the Bible prophecy community for our, our tags. And because you have to, because if you put them in there, they're People are looking for them, and there's people out there, and the way YouTube works, you know, somebody makes a ridiculous complaint, and YouTube, YouTube's default is to pull the video down. They don't even look at the content to see whether it's offensive or not, exactly. or truthful. Or, yeah, it, right. Um, and Eric the Tech and uh, Global Star, if we can skip the bottom of the hour network break, because, frankly, I've dominated too much of uh, Mr. Haller's time, and I want to give him the benefit <laughs> of this. So we're going to skip the bottom of the hour network break. Uh, to give Mr. Heller the most time possible. Um, so, Mr. Yeah. And, and by the way, his his uh, prophecy updates are just phenomenal. But go ahead, Joe. So, so Mr. Heller, if I understand this right, you can call me John, Joe. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you were. Um, what was going on the night of the Manchester attack? Well, uh, with you. Yeah, uh, my wife and I went to Israel. I think we arrived in Israel on May 17th. And for three days, and I'll talk a little bit about more in a minute, because it was a phenomenal trip. It was, I've been to Israel, this is the third time. Every time I say it's life-altering, and this time it was life-altering squared, in terms of affirmation of the truth of the Bible and the description of places and times and things that happen in the Bible. So Trump, we were there with Trump, a friend of ours, some may know, Bill Koenig from Watch.org is a, has a White House press pass, and he came over uh, with Trump uh, to join Trump in Jerusalem and then go on with him to Europe, and we were staying in an apartment that some friends had graciously allowed us to stay in. We were literally um, two minutes from walking, you know, in five minutes we could be halfway into the old city. Uh, through a number of the gates. We were maybe eight, a six or eight minute walk from the Damascus gate. So we were right in the heart of Jerusalem and we were there when Trump was there, but it was pretty clear from Sunday we had gone out to try to film something and we did. It's on, there's a prophecy update from, live from Jerusalem from Sunday the 21st, Sunday the 21st. And we filmed it at the promenade, but to get there, you know, it was a few miles from the apartment and Picked up a rental car, drove over there, but it took us like two hours to go a mile and a half. 
because they had everything shut down in Jerusalem, and they were you saw Marine One and uh, other helicopters practicing takeoffs and landings from a, a big depart uh, grocery store department store uh, parking lot. So Pam and I decided on Monday, long story uh, short, is we're going to get out of town. So we got in the car, we drove down to Jericho, and when you drive in Jerusalem, you leave Jerusalem, we were at about 3,200 feet above sea level, and Jericho is 880 feet below sea level, and it's only about 10 miles. So when you say you go down to Jericho, you go down to Jericho. Or when the Bible says wow. that Jesus and them walked up to Jerusalem from Jericho, it's a 4,000-foot elevation change in 10 miles. That's steep. And uh, when we got down to Jericho, my wife, she's always afraid I'm going to run out of gas. So she says, how's your gas done? I'm like, I haven't used any because it's been downhill the whole way. So we then we drove up through the Jordan Valley, up past a, a biblical site, Beit Shan, a great archaeological site, and then up along the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, up into the Golan Heights, and up along the Syrian border. And you get up there to the overlook there at the near Kenitra, and you have the UN no man's monitored no man's land, but I actually turned on the wrong road, and uh, the road got really bad, and I thought, because of the Six-Day War 50 years ago, the roads are all messed up because... They used to go from Syria into the Golan, and now they're cut off. And I ended up, I mean, I was like 20 yards from entering no man's land, uh, and the gate was open, and I'm like, I, I need to get out of here. So we turned around real quickly, and I saw a U.N. sign on the on the road. And we went along, and that's up around Mount Hermon. You go along the Lebanon border um, all the way over. We went to not to a town called Naharia, which is about 10 or so miles north of Haifa and just maybe six-minute drive south of the Lebanon border right on the Mediterranean. We had some friends there, and it was Monday, uh, the 22nd, and we had dinner with them, fantastic people. We'd only ever met them on the, knew them from the Internet and had great dinner at their apartment there in Naharia, and we drove, and they were from Manchester. They had immigrated there from Manchester, uh, they were Jewish, so they were allowed to do that. They have Israeli citizenship now. And we talked, we had talked at dinner about Manchester and the impact that Muslim immigration had had on Manchester. And they said they had left 10 years before and it was bad. And they were sure, they knew that it was much worse now from trips back. So we drove back to Jerusalem. It was about a two, little over two hour drive. And we got back and I sat down, opened up my computer, and that's when the Manchester bombing happened. So, you know, here are people from Manchester that we're talking about the Muslim problem in Manchester, and then two hours later, there's a terrorist attack at, at the arena. And now we've had the terrorist attack in London. We had a terror attack in Paris today. Europe has destroyed itself effectively. They've let way too many people in. They always say, it's always interesting, they always say, well, this person was on the radar. Well, big deal, right? <laughs> He's on the radar, but you didn't prevent the terror attack. People are dead because of that. And it's going to have a huge impact on Europe. I was just, I caught a little bit of a report on Drudge about how people, the London Bridge area was shut down 
again today mm-hmm. or told to leave and get out of there. And when can we come back? And they said, we don't know. So apparently they have intel or something that there's something else coming, uh, but they just don't know what. And they've, they've reached the tipping point in Germany and France uh, on Muslim immigration. Uh, you know, there's a great debate in the Bible prophecy community is where does the Antichrist come from? And there's a view, Joel Richardson, and I'm sure you've had him on your mm-hmm. show, thinks it's from the Islamic world. And then there will be other people that say, no, it's a revived Roman Empire. It comes out of Europe. And it could never be Islamic. And I'm like, well, if the Lord doesn't come back soon, it could come from Europe, and it could be an Islamic Antichrist anyway. And, John, because if, if I could just jump in real quick, we've had... a. Uh... IQ Al-Razuli on a few times, uh, Waleed Shobat, and especially Waleed, he's written a few books on this topic specifically. And when we first interviewed him, maybe back in 2013, I thought the same thing, you know. Uh, I didn't think that Islam was even a possibility of, you know, playing that, that role, either the Antichrist role, the false prophet role. And I'm starting to wonder now, and, and, just because of, of what the same concerns you have, that just the mm-hmm. progression of where not only is Islam increased so much um, in violence, where in, in communities and in, in countries where it has settled, but it is being protected by the media and accepted by you know big government in Hollywood to the point where people are converting left and right. So it is a little concerning. I do know exactly where you're coming from. A little, a little concerning. It's it's hugely concerning. And listen, if Christians were doing what people are doing in the name of Islam, do you think, do you think for one second that our media would say Christianity had nothing to do with it? Oh, absolutely if, not. If they would not. It is, you know, it, 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 it's maddening to watch it happen, but it is part of prophecy because it does talk about, you know, Jesus warnings, be, don't let anybody deceive you. Uh, we see Paul writing in Thessalonians about a, God sending a great delusion. We see this reprobate mind sent as a judgment by God in Romans chapter one. Uh, that's here. I mean, it, it, it could get worse. I think we're way past the tipping point. I see things going on in college campuses that are just inexplicable. The shutting down of any voices of dissent, the creation of safe spaces. I would say, if any college creates a safe space, one thing that Mr. That President Trump could do is to cut off all student loan funding to that university, and maybe that would, you know, money money seems the only thing they listen to. The Islamic problem is is bad. I, I, we were in Israel, and the one thing that struck me everywhere we went was well, two things. One. There is no question that Hebrews occupied that land for hundreds and hundreds of years in a massive way. And all of the lies of so-called biblical archaeologists that say, oh, it's just a small group of people in the mountains, those are demonic lies to deny the ties of the Jewish people to their to the land. And it, this all plays into at least how I understand the Bible prophecy. The prophetic scenario will unfold in the end times. Israel, and specifically Jerusalem, is the epicenter of these of these prophecies, and they're they're 
unfolding the 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 uh, things that need to be put in place for them to be fulfilled. These prophecies are all in place, and they could be absolutely, unmistakably fulfilled in short order in many cases. So, so you see the evidence of the Jews in the land for millennia. And I can talk more about that. And the second thing you see is it is the epicenter of the conflict that unfolds in the end times. Everywhere you go is the vision. Give you the first day we were there. We went to Hebron. Hebron is uh, 20 or so miles south of Jerusalem. It's in the Judean. The the mountains of Israel was the biblical heartland. That area today is known as the West Bank. So we have a people group called Palestinians. They came into. They took that name 50 years ago, probably 53 years ago. I think was the first time they were called Palestinian as a separate people group. They're Arabs. They claim that they are entitled to the area of the West Bank, which is the mountains of Israel. All of the major biblical stories, the conquest, uh, Abraham entering into the land, uh, the promises to, to Abraham, the promises to Isaac, the promises to Jacob, all took place in the mountains of Israel, one of which areas is Hebron. And Hebron today is probably the epicenter of the conflict between the descendants of Jacob and the descendants of Esau and Ishmael. And we went down there. A few tour groups go down there. Uh, if you're ever on a tour that goes down there, consider yourself blessed because the area is full of biblical history. Let me just give you a, a short summary of what we did in Hebron. The first thing we did was we went to a place called Mamre. M-A-M-R-E. Now, I have to tell you, I've studied the Bible a lot. I've read all these passages before, but I never connected Mamre to a place. And so our guide, uh, a great biblical theologist in the sense that actually believes the Bible is true, a guy named Joel Kramer. you got to try to get him on your show sometime. And just go to YouTube and type in Joel Kramer Israel, and you'll see a lot of videos of him taking groups around and my wife and I were fortunate enough to have him exclusively ours for three days. So we go to Hebron, we go to Mamre. What does Mamre mean? There were two uh, people, rulers, that built at Mamre to commemorate the holy site. Constantine and Herod both built there. And Herod built three places. He built the Temple Mount. He built, built at the cave of Machpelah in Hebron, and he built at Mamre. Uh, Constantine, whether you want to argue about him or not, Constantine built in four places. He built at Mamre, because that where was the blessing of the Messiah was given. He built at uh, Bethlehem, because that's where the Messiah was born. He built the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, where the Messiah was crucified, buried, and rose again. And then he built on the Mount of Olives. All of these were sites to commemorate the holy things that happened at those sites, holy sites. And they're unmistakable, they're well documented, and I would not even entertain any question from somebody who wants to say, oh no, no, that's all made up, it didn't really happen there. I was at the place where in Genesis 13 it says, Yahweh met with Abram at, by the great oaks of Mamre. 
And our archaeologist friend, Joel Kramer, took us out there and he showed us a couple circular places coming up through the bedrock. And he said, what do you think this is? And I said, well, it's a cistern or something. He goes, no, this is where a great tree grew through the bedrock. This is where, and there were a number of them scattered around the site. These are where the great oaks of Mamre stood. And then Yahweh said, I'll come back and see you in a year. There's a well there and everything. And there's been, you know, temples and churches and stuff built there. Because they always, everybody tries to either commemorate a holy site or desecrate it. And it kind of goes back and forth depending on who's ruling there. But then Yahweh comes back a year in Genesis 18 and he gives them, you know, it says Sarah's there in the tent and he says, you're going to have a baby. And Sarah laughs because she's 90, right? Abraham's like, he's not even too convinced of it. He's a hundred. But this is where that occurred. And, and you can go there. Unfortunately, we went there and we were the only people on the site because it's, it's hard to go there because you have to have an armor plated bus. You have to have bulletproof glass. You have to have special insurance requirements. So it's, it, your tour will be much more expensive if you go there. But I would highly recommend that people go and try to go there. But the interesting thing is that in Jerusalem, so I typed in just uh, Google Maps. You know, I put in the address of the apartment on Alicia Street where we were staying and just outside the old city there. And uh, I put in Hebron. And you know what Google Maps said? This route is not possible. <laughs> And it's because this is this is the episode of the conflict. One day, um, we went out to try to film something. And my we did film something, but my camera didn't work. But we we walked pretty much around the outside of the old city, and it's it's a hike. You know, I'm I'm an older guy, and you know, I can still stand to lose some weight. Although I will I I will brag on myself a little bit. I've lost a hundred pounds since Thanksgiving. Wow! So congratulations. The, um, but I still have, I still have a ways to go. So I'm, I'm getting in shape and, uh, we were right walking up and down these pretty steep hills and I was looking at Google Maps just to make sure I knew exactly where I was. And it kept saying, it kept telling me you're entering, a, it would buzz and say you're entering a foreign country because th- these are the armistice lines from 49 and 48 and the wars and six, the six day wars 50 years ago. And so you're, you're like right on the fault lines of this conflict of the ages, especially between the Muslim Palestinian Arabs and the Jewish people or the Israelis. And so at Mamre, you see that. So then we left Mamre and we went over to the cave of Machpelah, which is an incredible site. Look it up. Machpelah, M-A-C-H-A-P-E-L-A-H, Machpelah. It's the land, it's the place that Abraham bought the cave where he would be buried. And there is no question that in the cave below this giant building that Herod built 2,000 years ago, these walls still stand like they were put up last week. I don't even know if modern technology would be able to construct them in this with this precision. I don't know how they did it 2,000 years ago. They stood through earthquakes and other other things that have happened. And there's a a building, and it has a, a synagogue on one side and a mosque on the other side. And you can see where the Muslims go in there, and they throw rocks at the Jews praying on the other side at these memorials to Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah. And their, their bones were put in the cave 
below 25 or 30 feet below where you stand when you're up on top of the uh, at the synagogue or the mosque. And but nobody, there's hardly anybody there because it's a very an area of great conflict. We then went from there to the tell at Hebron, where you walk. First thing you do when you're walking up at the tell is you walk by a wall that they've documented was built 4,500 years ago, and it's still it's still there. And then you go up on the tell, and you're in no man's land between the Palestinians and the Jew and the Israelis. And there's a Palestinian flag. You can't go all the way up on top of the tell. That's a that's a mound where they continue to build, you know, civilization above civilization above civilization, and it grows. But up on top of the tell, you can't go because it's no man's land. It's a very disputed area, and there's Israeli uh, Israeli defense forces are up there. But you it, it gives you a different perspective when you see the conflict up close. The day after we were there and driving through no man's land, getting from one place to another, um, they had disturbances on the street, uh, the streets that we drove on, because they were upset. Trump was coming, and it was the anniversary of the Six-Day War uh, that was going to be celebrated on uh, Jerusalem Day, Yom Yerushalayim, they call it, which uh, was celebrated on Wednesday the 24th and uh, we were there that day uh, the city was we did two things on Yom Yerushalayim day the first thing we did was we took the light rail out to the Yad Vashem the Holocaust Museum and I've been there three times now and it's it's oppressive it it may I was you go through different emotions when you go through that place and you see what the Nazis did to the Jews and other people groups, but mainly the Jews in World War II. It is the level of evil and disregard of humanity by the Nazis. It made me so, I was so angry. I get angry every time I go and then it's just oppressively or depressing to see what man, what, what civilized people, what we thought were civilized people did to other people simply because of their ethnicity. Um, and you wonder, my thought was, why did they let any Nazis live after World War II? That was my question. I asked my wife. Thank you for asking that question. I've often asked myself that same question. And look, we know that through our friend Doug Warboard, there's pretty good evidence that those some of those people were brought into our country. Oh yeah. Um, and you wonder why, and you just understand that this is the conflict of the ages. This is the great biblical prophetic epic that's playing out in front of us. I talked to your producer today, Joe John. Is it John? Yeah, John. John Robinson. John. And uh, I thought of a verse after we talked, and I'll just paraphrase it. It's in, um, I think it's Luke 10, 24, and 25. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. See, the one thing you learn when you study Bible prophecy, it's it's written, the scriptures are written from a Jewish perspective. And 
the scriptures are written, prophecy comes in patterns. So if you want to understand what's going to happen in the end times, understand what happens when God unleashes his judgment before, when he allowed the Assyrians to come in and take over the northern kingdom, what happened when he allowed the Babylonians to come in and take over the southern kingdom, what happened at the time of the Exodus. And I think Chad will talk more about that tomorrow night uh, since he's written a book on it and I haven't. But these patterns are going to be repeated. They're going to be recapitulated in the end times. So we know that what happens at the first coming of Christ is going to happen at the second coming of Christ. Now, there's a couple things to say about that. One, there were a lot of prophecies about the Messiah. Those existed for hundreds, if not thousands of years before they were fulfilled. They were fulfilled for the most part... um, I think I have the number correct. It's like 58 or let's call it 60% of the prophecies about Jesus. They started to be fulfilled with John the Baptist and then Jesus' birth and some other things that happened. But about 60% of those were fulfilled in the last week before the crucifixion. So what does that tell you? There's this incredible acceleration of prophetic fulfillment. That pattern is going to repeat itself in the end times. And, we, and I think we see that happening. I mean, um, and I talked to John about this also, and I know we've talked about this before, and every time I get to somebody who talks a lot about Bible prophecy, studies it as a watchman, what is the comment that you, I'm sure you hear this all the time, there's so much going on, I can't keep up with it. When I started doing this 15, 20 years ago, and teaching a, a class at my church, I would review a lot of 40, 50 front page, newspaper front pages to get information to talk about, about things that are prophetically significant. Now I pick up the Wednesday New York Times and I have more than enough to talk about in an hour or hour and 15 minutes that I get on Sunday because so much, so much is happening and if we're way past the tipping point. It's not gonna. We're not going back at this point. I was gonna ask you. Do you, I mean? I do believe and agree that there is a, a huge increase in things that are happening across the world. But how much of of uh, what we're seeing is also because of the the spreading out of the internet, the increase in uh, of uh, the phones and, and the cameras on the phones. And you know, me and John had a conversation about this in Chicago. Uh, and one example is, you know, we. Every year, or even twice a year, sometimes we'll see a, you know a story where a river in China turns red, mm-hmm. um, you know, or in Russia, or you know, mass animal deaths. And we were uh, debating on whether it was because of the increase in technology and the availability of information through the internet, or were these things actually just increasing in in the number of frequencies? For what it's worth, I'm going to punch in here and say both. But Attorney Heller, what do you say? I- I would agree with you. I, I agree with everybody. You know, <laughs> no, I uh, I do think it's it's partly because the information is more accessible, but I also think that it's because the uh, a lot of things are happening, and that's particularly true in geopolitics. I mean, I I subscribe to you know foreign affairs and foreign policy, and I know they come from people that want to set up a one world government, but I think we need to pay attention to what these people are saying. And writing about, it. and I just got the new, I think it was foreign affairs, no foreign policy. 
And the picture is a little island in a sea. First they came for the polar bears. This is, this is a ludicrous, this is, these are intelligent people. At least we think they're intelligent people. And they're, they're talking about the apocalypse of global warming. But now when we talk about the apocalypse that will occur when the Lord returns, they look at us like we're crazy. So everybody has an apocalypse. But I do think that there are more things happening. We see the terror attacks and that type of thing. And, and you know, we focus on the ones that happen in the West. But what happened in, in Kabul, Afghanistan, right in at, between Manchester attack and London attack, they had... You know, this massive, I mean, did you see the images of this car, of this bomb that went off? This truck bomb? I mean, there are craters. I mean, it's 20 foot deep crater created by this bomb. It killed 60 or maybe 100 people. Then they had protests about it. And at the funeral, another bomb goes off, kills yeah. another 15 people. So this is, this is happening all over the world. We look at places in Africa, the Congo, Central African Republic, Sudan, Chad, they're all in, they're all in geopolitical meltdown. I have friends that live, um, in South Africa and they want, to be honest with you, they want to leave because there's so much. 4,000 white ranchers have been killed over the last decade. Do you know that? 4,000 in South Africa. No. They're butchered. Look it up. Um, if you have a strong enough stomach, look it up on the internet. It's horrific what is happening there. Um, the slaughter of white ranchers. Now look, there's a lot of grievances because of apartheid and all this stuff. I'm telling yeah. you, this is happening everywhere. We, we gloss over the history of Islam where at least by conservative estimates, go, go watch a guy, Bill Warner at politicalislam.com. Phenomenal material there. 80 million Hindus killed by Muslims in India back in the, in the, what we would call the medieval period, the dark ages. 80 million! And we just kind of gloss over it. So, back to your question, I think more things are happening. I used to look at 40 or 50 front pages. Now I pick up one or two newspapers. And I have enough material to talk about in an hour and 15 minutes to try to analyze it and put it in context a little bit. But the interesting thing, the point I was going to make is that when Jesus was talking to his disciples about things that were happening with him in his first coming, he said to them privately, it says, you're blessed. You're blessed my friends, my disciple friends, that you're getting to see this because prophets and kings have longed to see the things that you're seeing happen in front of you. And so maybe we in the church that have understanding of this because we do study the scriptures, we need to orient ourselves to think it's troubling, it's distressing to watch all of this, but we're blessed. <laughs> Because this appears to be the end of the age, and we know how it ends. And we're getting to see all the things that the prophets talked about, that for generations people in the church have pointed to and said, well, this will happen in the future. Uh, Israel will be reborn as a nation. Israel will get back Jerusalem. 
Well, you know what? 50 years ago this week, that happened right in front of us. I, my father was a pastor. He loved Bible prophecy. And I have his notes in a box here in my basement. And he, that's all I talked about for three or four weeks. And usually he typed out his notes, but they're all handwritten from June of 1967. Because he's like, when I was a kid, my pastor used to tell me that this was going to happen. And now it's happening. So now that it's happening, on I think an increasingly larger scale, we need to remember that we're blessed that we're able to live at this time. Because God chose to put us in this period. Um. So, Amen to that. You know, uh, John, we only have about two and a half minutes left, which is just a minute, a minute and a half, which is incredible. It, it, the minute and a half is yours, my friend, and we're gonna have to have you back for like a twenty-four-hour show because. He, <laughs> he, but uh, go ahead and, cl- and close it out. Um, whatever you want to say, we're, we're you know, it's yours. Okay. Well, we. We live at a time of great um, distress. The scriptures talk about in Matthew 24 that men's hearts failing them for fear of the things coming on the earth. And we can argue about when the church gets out of here and we can have a fight about the timing of the rapture and other fine points of eschatology. I'm probably less dogmatic on things than I used to be. I think God will work it all out. And we'll be there and we need to be uh, we need to be humble enough to admit that maybe we had it wrong. Uh, I heard somebody at a conference recently said that uh, there's 30 minutes of silence that talks about in Revelation, and nobody knows what the 30 minutes of silence for, and this person suggested that, well, that 30 minutes is so all the prophecy teachers can update their charts and everything. Hmm. But it is it is the time. It's the time to be in the Word, in fellowship with others, and talking about what's going on. Appreciate what you guys do, and it was great to be with you tonight. It was great to have you. And uh, don't forget, folks, visit DenverProphecySummit.com. There you can get the information of the upcoming Israel and the Apocalypse Conference from August 4th through the 6th. And, John, we will have to have you back on before that. Um, It's been a a fascinating, fast-moving hour. And it's great to talk to you again, and we look forward to talking to you. We love your updates. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, Doug. Appreciate it. God bless. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to his creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. 
Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. At HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Final hour of our Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, where Stan Deo joins us each and every Tuesday. Folks, go to standeo.com, and on the right-hand side of his website, there's a show images page. You click that, and you can follow along with us as we talk with Stan about what's going on in the world. And before we, we get to him, um, we got a quick word, but I want to yeah. say this first. The, the uh, one thing we didn't mention tonight is the NSA leaker who was jailed. I don't know about this name, Reality Winner. It sounds like it's a bad joke, but apparently that's her name. I just wanted to point this out. Of all the things that have come out about this leaker, uh, her social media presence and profiles are, are so, so telling to who this, per, the, how this person's political views were. Siding with get Iran, into, right? Yeah, we can get into this more tomorrow, but the one thing I wanted to point out that I posted on the, on Hagman Report earlier was something she tweeted out about being white is terrorism. Exactly, and I would I would urge everyone to be very. I I I it was somebody communicated with me who is in the know about this, saying watch this. Don't don't get yourself. Um, well, essentially telling me that everything is not as it as it appears. You've got a very low level uh, person with a high security uh, level. That's the story. There's a lot wrong with this. There's more wrong than, than not with this story. We will have more on this later. We don't do anything half, half asked. I'm sorry. We, we, we go out. We, we look deeply into things. And that's what we have to do these days. 
And speaking about looking deeply into things, have you looked into your life insurance lately? If you haven't, I would urge you to do so. I don't care if you're 15, 50, or 85. I don't care what your age is. Folks, life insurance, if you don't have it, why don't you have it? Do you think it's too expensive or too much of a hassle? If you don't have life insurance, what would happen financially if something happened to you, if you're the primary wage earner, or, or even to your wife, for example, if you if you lose your wife and you've got small children at home, you've got to think about the, these things. Life insurance is a good idea to protect the ones around you, but where do you go to get the best prices, the best policy, with the best service? That's the question. We have the answer. PolicyGenius.com. It is the best online life insurance marketplace, bar none. The most accurate quotes from top A-rated life insurance companies. Policy Genius, they've placed over $5 billion in life insurance for people like you and me. They have a very simple-to-use, very user-friendly website to shop for. To compare all of the top policy, all of the top rated uh, life insurance companies and give you the best options. That's what this is all about. And, and what I love about this, they have a, light, a licensed customer service team to help you find the best policy at the best price. While you're there, folks, check out their other life insurance offer, offerings like health insurance and even, yes, pet insurance. Lady, the studio dog, who I brought with me tonight. Relax. It's okay, hon. Folks, go to policygenius.com today to save over 40% off other prices for life insurance. When, when Paul, when life insurance companies, when they compete for your business, you save money over captive agents. Folks, that's Policy Genius. I'm going to spell it for you. P-O-L-I-C-Y. G-E-N-I-U-S PolicyGenius.com Zero jargon Zero sale pressure Zero hassle Life insurance made easy as it should be Free quotes Zero hassle 100% peace of mind Don't wait Go to PolicyGenius.com today Alright, our guest this hour And each and every Tuesday And hour number three is Standeo Again, Standeo.com is the website you can go to the uh, right-hand side of the microphone on his on his webpage to the show images link. Click there, and you can follow along with the images that Stan has put together, uh, the research he's put together for the show. Stan, welcome back to the show. Good to be back, guys. Been away for, what, two or three weeks now. Yeah, we were going to send a team out looking for you, brother. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, there's so many things that have been happening, keeping me down, i got to tell you. Um, but I'm back on board now then. Um, as you get older, your eyes get, um, uh, oh, floaties and things like that. And I lifted up a heavy weight here last, oh, Friday week ago, I think. And, uh, didn't tear the retina, but I tore the, the gelatinous stuff, the vitreous medium away from the retina. So now I've got these things floating in my left eye, but no torn retina, which is good. These things just slow you up a bit. Going to doctors and stuff. And, and we've been uh, praying for uh, you. Sam, we've been I hear your for wife you. has not been well. I, I just heard that talking could, to Todd. Yeah, a week ago tonight, uh, uh, I got to tell you, right right around showtime, a week ago tonight, she had severe abdominal pains. 
Um, wow. took her took her into the emergency room. Three hours later, she was in the emergency. Well, three o'clock in the morning, she was in emergency surgery uh, until six o'clock in the morning. Um, I've got I've got to thank uh, my team here. They were all there uh, with me. God bless them. Bottom line is uh, she had uh, emergency abdominal surgery uh, from a congenital defect, actually, that involved her uh, upper intestinal tract, and it was caught in time. But uh, it's going to be a long recovery, so thank you for asking, and that's kind of an update to all the listeners who didn't know what was going on. Just right, in, in fact, I, I came back just for you tonight, uh, Stan. Thank you so. for that. Appreciate that. So, well, look, tell your wife that I sympathize with it, and so does Holly. We, uh, we know how these things go. Sometimes yeah, I think the put them up to slow us all down. You know, my wife, seriously, my wife and I were talking about the spiritual component to these attacks, and your name did come up because I know you've been through the mill, um, and others too. But uh, we are blessed to have you, Stan. We really are. So thank you. Well, I tell you what, I'm still kind of hoping this year, sometime this year, or maybe by spring next year, we see the rapture. But then again, that's just my hope. There's no, you know, certainty other than what the word says. But. Um, all the things that are happening kind of lead one to think that the seven-year tribulation, one way or another, has got to start pretty soon, even this year. Well, yeah. It, and feel free to expand on that. I mean, it's... Okay. It, you know, the, the Trump visit over to the Middle East and to Europe and stuff was quite interesting. Um, we all know that Saudi Arabia is you know, also a sworn enemy of Israel as is Iran. But so our president goes over there and he says to the Saudis, oh, look, guys, we're going to be friends with you because you're fighting ISIS and uh, the headquarters, you know, that you're fighting is over in Iran. So we're going to sell you some weapons. And uh, at the first report, I thought they said they were going to sell them F-35 fighters as well, which would just about doom Israel, you know, if they gave them the F-35 because the Saudis, you know, would just fly across the border there and, and nuke them. Well, I find out today that there are no F-35s in the deal, and about 900 to, no, let's say 900 million of it, 110 billion, so I don't know, but I think it was 900 million that is for training ground troops and stuff over there to train the Saudis how to fight on the ground. But um, if the Saudis accept this package, they haven't yet. They can't pay for it. They haven't got enough money to pay $110 billion to the United States because the price of oil is so low. And I said on your show several oh, months ago now to watch the Saudis because young Prince Solomon, the, the second in line to the throne there, who has all the power now, um, has been talking about uh, selling off a percentage of Aramco, which is the, the American and Arab oil company. And uh, the... The thing is that he estimated that 5% of it was worth $3 trillion. Well, other estimates come in from financial services and oil companies around the world saying that it's worth maybe a tenth of that. And I'm starting to wonder if their major oil uh, sources resources are drying up there, why and that's why they're trying to sell a portion of their, of their massive oil company uh, to fund a, uh, what was it, an investment fund. Uh, and. Arabian investment fund so that he could diversify and not depend on oil and go to minerals like you know, gold, silver, copper, those kind of things they have plenty of 
now then they're faced with the Iranians wanting to take them out because, you know, they are apparently, the, the Saudis are friends with uh, the U.S. and are opposite uh, of what the Iranians have. The Iranians have uh, Islam as a Shiite uh, form, whereas the Saudis have Sunni, but yet at the top of their government for, gosh, what, two generations, maybe three, has been the Saud family, who are Wahhabi Islamists, and they're an extreme form of Islam. And of course, as a result, Saudi Arabia is divided into Wahhabis and then normal Sunni uh, Muslims. So there's a groundswell to overthrow the Saud dynasty, which is being countered by young Prince Salman, who is you know, a young millennial prince who thinks like young people is trying to change laws to make life easier for them under Islam. Now, the Wahhabi form of Islam, when they say it's extreme, they they want people to stick strictly to one god and not worship various other imams and stuff like they used to do in the Sunni version of it. But believe it or not, they had to, they'd put uh, prayers and prayer flowers and gifts on graves of imams, you know, and, and prophets of Islam. And it's kind of like what they do in the Catholic Church, you know, with various saints and stuff. So, in essence, uh, you and I and people like us who are fundamentalist Christians, born-again believers, but fundamentalist Christians, we uh, worship one God. We don't uh, pray to saints or this kind of stuff like that. So we're like the Christian version of the Sunni uh, Muslim uh, religion that is in Saudi Arabia. So, uh, but diametrically opposed in the basic theology, obviously. Um, I, I show in the show images page there, there are six images that I put up there, five of them actually, that uh, were taken at the time and uh, during the Saudi visit just after. Now, there is a conflict. If you look at image 35, there are two princes there who are vying for control of the throne of King Solomon when he dies. Now, King Solomon is going senile, and uh, his son is the one on the left there, Mohammed bin Salman, MBS, and on the right is the uh, nephew, uh, Mohammed bin Nayef. Now, the king wants his son to succeed him instead of what the, the normal uh, succession line would put on to Prince Mohammed bin Nayef on the right. To kind of help the thing go the way he wanted, King Salman's, um, I think his uh, brother or his cousin, somebody anyway, is the head of the the succession council. Well, he died just recently, uh, the 4th of May. And uh, that whole, you can click on that article in uh, slide 33, that whole group uh, are very important determining whether uh, Prince Salman gets the, the rulership or whether they stick with uh, Mohammed bin Nayef. Now, if they stick with Mohammed bin Nayef, I suppose if he became king, he could... Uh, take the portfolios of defense and you know, the economy and various other things that uh, young Prince Ben Salman has, he could take him back into the throne and give them to somebody else, um, still leaving Mohammed bin Salman as a prince, but not you know, the, the next in line. I don't know whether it will happen that way, because uh, the young Prince Salman is uh, very aggressive, very uh, busy, shall we say, in getting into running the country by portfolios and has become in essence the de facto king while his father is letting him speak for him. Um, 
events in the book of Revelation in chapter uh, 13, um, and a couple of other things in Daniel. But there's going to be a war over there very shortly, and the Saudis are not armed well enough to take on the Iranians who have the nukes. I don't know that President Trump would uh, actually give the Saudis uh, nuclear weapons, again, knowing that the Saudis, once they finish using that against Iran or whoever they go after, would then turn them on Israel. It will be a mistake, and we're pretty sure from what Holly's dug up in the Prophetic Perils book, that the the Saudis are going to lead a consortium against Israel, and it will be horribly maimed, and will turn back after a lot of it has been uh, killed or totally destroyed. And at that point, Israel will control the top half of Saudi Arabia, all the way down to Riyadh in the middle. Uh, and that day may be very soon. Um, now, is or will uh, Mohammed bin Salman, the young prince, will he be the first beast, uh, an antichrist, who will be, you know, uh, revered and uh, used as kind of a, a front for the second beast that they call the false prophet? I don't know. But he certainly has a lot of the markings for what the, the Revelation 13 uh, the phrase says about the first beast. Because the first beast, they tell you <clears throat> in the Revelation of John, that look for wisdom and uh, know that the number of the beast or the man is the number of a man, 666. And as we've talked about before on the show, that goes back to King Solomon in the Bible. Now, both the Arabs and the Jews uh, revere a King Solomon. Now, the Arabs revere Shalmaneser the Great, the first, who built the Assyrian Empire. And they revere him. His name, Shalmaneser, is the Hebrew writing of it, but in Arabic tongue, it's Salman, Eser, Salman the Great. And if you'll listen to the news commentators talking about King Salman over there right now, they'll say Salman as though it were Solomon. Um, and so, you know, the biblical King Salman in Hebrew, his name is Shlomo, which isn't even close to Solomon. But somehow or another, the name Salman the pronunciation of it has been attributed to the uh, Jewish king and the Assyrian king. So uh, the area there is open to interpretation, but I do think that the revelation is telling us that the first beast will be um, like a King Solomon. Uh, you'll be wealthy. You'll have income in gold. And by the way, to that end, uh, the uh, Saud family, the King Solomon and his son, are part of a group that uh, the Atlantis II Sea Explorer off in the uh, Red Sea at the moment is digging down to get huge amounts of gold and copper from the bottom of the Red Sea off the west coast of Saudi Arabia, and they're going to have a lot more gold. I guess that'll be more gold toilets and things, but anyway, they're going to have such a huge amount of gold that people say, you know, who could be richer, you know, and... Uh, I mean, the Saud family is well worth over $17 trillion now. Um, so that Revelation 13 thing, talking about 666, he was known for his gold, for his wisdom. Now, young Prince Solomon is not the wisest, you know, spark over there, but because he's made some mistakes, but he's learning. And, uh, you know, he has formed an Arab um, union of 34 nations I talked about on your show, which means that he is, and this is a military union, and they've already had practice military drills between them on how to attack or defend, which means that he does have the resources at his disposal right now legally 
to go against Israel if he wanted to turn left when he's going after Iran. So anyway, I, I put this here. I'm going to leave that up there for a while because these uh, Saudi links that you can read about, see the family tree and the Wahhabism. Um, the Wahhabi ideology is behind a lot of uh, the terrorism in the world today. So this, we're making a deal, giving them weapons to beat the the the, uh, the terrorists. Kind of makes you kind of go, what? Uh, say what? Yeah, uh, I, and Stan, uh, Qatar. Uh, have you seen what what's been going on in? in yeah, Qatar, yeah. The in, Russians uh, are, are siding with them against the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, and you know the, they want to. Well, they're, they're just got her out of feeling with her, out of out of uh, fashion or out of agreement with the rest of the Arabs over there. I don't know why. There's a lot of terrorism coming out of there, though, and this and the Russians are in there helping them. So there you go. Yeah, and, and Trump made a remark that what was going on in, in Qatar um, would lead to a lot less terrorism. Is the beginning to to the the real war on terrorism. And I'm paraphrasing; I don't have the quote in front of me. But I was, um, yeah, you know, the Saudi deal was something that um, I didn't. We didn't have the. I didn't have the information on the the financial aspect of it, except what what the price tag was. But you said you don't believe that they'll be able to. To purchase it right now, the way things are going, the, these weapons. Um, so I mean, I wonder the, yeah, these alliances on. that are being set up. Um, you know, if they, if they, in the end, as history has shown uh, many times, that the, some that these alliances cause more harm than good. But I guess this remains to be seen. Or the unintended consequences of such alliances, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, but but you're right. You know. Uh, no offense to, to President Trump, you know that we support him around here, but I wouldn't put myself there or anybody else I know that you know, is a conservative. I wouldn't put them there in the White House trying to solve and make peace in the Middle East. It's such a horrible thing to try to fix. And, of course, he's inherited. We have to look at what we can do to, to limit you know, damage to Israel and to us uh, because we're both considered the enemy of Islam in the Middle East. So uh, I just think that he's... He's fighting uh, such incredible odds that I, we, we pray for him several times a day around here that the President Trump and his administration stay on the right path and that their opposition is neutered quickly. Amen. And, and Stan, if if I can ask you this um, with respect to your uh, analysis on the geopolitical aspect of things, do, 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 you, do you see... Um, do you see his domestic problems stemming from, or perhaps um, the, the the pressure against him domestically, in part uh, due to his geopolitical stance, especially with respect to Israel and uh, his posturing there? In a sense, I'm not sure if I made myself clear. Yeah, you that. made your sense whether 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 it's the, the interference you know over the Middle East or whatever or the activity. Right before. He was even sworn in. They were members of the Democratic uh, Congress uh, and, of course, Obama, all saying that they were going to do everything they could to put stumbling blocks in the way of his administration. Everything they could do. Now, they declared war and unfair behavior on the Trump presidency before he even was sworn in. And it's done nothing but escalate. And I don't know whether they're assigning this week the blame to his activity in the Middle East or last week to the Russian, uh, you know, messing around with the election. You know, uh, 
they say so many things. I don't know what the the uh, the, the antagonists are really about, except to get rid of the Trump administration because the, the, he spoiled the grand plan of the globalists by getting in. Yeah, I mean, uh, as far as everything we've seen in the media up to this point with the, the, the Russia narrative and with all the people around Trump and their, you know, collusion with Russia has all been false. No evidence has been presented, nor will it be, um, in my opinion. And, you know, they continue to, for whatever reason, the left seems to have adopted this as their, you know, point of attack against Trump, their, their beginning point of attack. And, and, don't and they forget, just won't let it go. And don't forget, Joe and, and Stan, that this Thursday, the Dog and Pony Show, mm-hmm. Congressional Dog and Pony Show, by yeah. James Comey. So, <laughs> and I'm actually posting a story on the site right now. The CNN has a, a graphic on their broadcast now with a, a countdown because we're in under 48 hours now until Comey is set to testify on June 8th. They have a, a real time uh, countdown clock on their website. Um, CNN's Comey countdown clock ticks down to the seconds to testimony time. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. So, what factor is the biggest thing they're protesting against, Doug? Who knows? <laughs> exactly. You know, to to see James Comey come out, um, I just I, I have mixed feelings on this. Well, they've already you know released a little bit about what he is and, and is not going to say. Which essentially is going, to, is going to amount to really, in my view, nothing at, at the end of the day. I mean, Stan, right. you, you you have spoken in the past about uh, Secretary Hillary Clinton as Secretary of State, what she had done. You had spoken about Syria. You had spoken about Libya. Many things with respect to, to Clinton. The hearings. Look at how many hearings, and look at look at nothing had come out, and there was substan- uh, substantial evidence of wrongdoing. So at this point it would have to be a very political a political assassination against President Donald Trump um with yeah. respect to this. And if I can just jump in real quick, one thing that I learned um is that the there's an executive privilege that Trump could invoke to block Comey from testifying. And even though he has not done this and won't do this, the you know the media has already said, well, if he does this, you know, he surely is guilty and is trying to silence Comey. Excuse me, but nobody remembers during Fast and Furious Obama invoking that same executive privilege to stop documents from being released That's right. to the public, uh, showing you know not only the crimes but the cover up of those crimes of Fast and Furious. May uh, Brian Terry rest in peace from that Fast and Furious. And uh, I, I just I took some solace in President Trump's statement today uh, with respect to Comey. Good luck. I think he he said good luck to uh, to Comey. But that said, Stan, yeah. go ahead. It's crazy, but it is obviously, as you pointed out, it is a political assassination, and they're going at it in full bore. Yeah, uh, uh, it's depressing uh, to to watch it. I mean, I just can't believe this is still America, where you know, if the majority vote, or well, the, the electoral college in this case, but if a person is uh, elected to president, you may not agree with him, and you may grumble and complain until the next election when you vote him out. But, you know, how many of us on the, the conservative side are going to go picket, uh, you know, to attack police, uh, you know, uh, make terrible things as, as far as accusations against the, the White House? Well, you know, uh, I saw that we looked at uh, Obama, is he really an American citizen and stuff and that kind of stuff. And I, I think that was probably the beginning 
country of, okay, they're elected, we'll, we'll do what we can to uh, uh, influence their activities, you know, as far as, you know, legal uh, things in the Congress and the Senate and that kind of stuff, but we'll try to vote them out the next election. Well, okay, that's fine, but even even before Obama was out of office, I know I participated in it. Uh, there were a number of us that said, well, look, was he born in, you know, Kenya, or was he, uh, you know, where's his transcript from the university, and uh, does he like men or women? I mean, all those kind of things did come out on the Internet. But the Internet is also partly responsible for that, and it's come into its own with social media toward the end of Obama's uh, presidency and, you know, the beginning of this one. So. You're exactly right, Stan. And if you can hold that thought, we're right up against the break. Folks, we're talking with Stan Dale. We'll be right back after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Caring Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to 18 major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We're offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either, but they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changelessandwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Talking with our very good friend, 
friend of the program, Stan Deo. StanDeo.com. That's StanDeo.com. Uh, go to the show images page. More importantly, definitely get his book, Cosmic Conspiracy. As all of his books, all of his lectures, they're very well worth it, as well as Holly's works, Prophetic Perils. My goodness, that's just a, a encyclopedic book. Dare to Prepare, Garden Gold. I can go on and on. Prudent Places. It, 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 Stan and Holly have done so much for so many. It's an honor for us to have Stan on. And I just ask everyone in our listening and viewing audience, please pray. Stan Dale, please pray for Holly. Um, you know, we collectively and individually, I believe, are under spiritual attack. Sure, our bodies break down, but I know that uh, the the truth speakers are under spiritual attack, as well as attack from uh, from others. Even sadly, even some who call themselves uh, themselves Christians. But the fact of the matter is, Stan is out there fighting the fight educating us. Holly's out there educating us. They've got so much information to give, to share, and have done so with with great dignity, class, decorum. And uh, Stan and Holly are, are two people that we look up to. And that's from the heart. And I just want everyone to understand that. One more thing. Um, I ran into uh, uh, just a, a gracious woman, Rosie Rose, uh, at a local pharmacy if you're listening again I just want to tell you how much uh, your introduction meant to me thank you so much you you lifted up my spirits and uh, uh, just thanks for listening and thanks for being part of our community with that uh, Joe I'm going to just yeah, talk to you before we get back to Stan I want to bring you a, an update from the folks at Green Innovative uh, the people at Green Innovative tell us that the response from Hagman and Hagman audience in the United States and Canada has been great the new GMAG Complete Pack and Complete with Barter Pack are still a big hit. We have negotiated with Alan Riggs for a good way to say thank you by offering a great discount. You all know that Green Innovative products make power anytime, anywhere, in any weather, day or night. They come with accessories to meet nearly any need during an emergency, and they are EMP proof. Remember, wherever you are and wherever you live, you need to be prepared. And we are now in hurricane season. Folks, go to greenovative.com and enter the discount code HAGMAN for 15% off. The 15% off discount um, is a store-wide discount from now through the 1st of July. A very generous offer by, by Alan Riggs at, at Greenovative. Again, go to greenovative.com, enter the discount code HAGMAN, H-A-G-M-A-N-N, for your 15% off uh, store-wide discount now through July 1st. 2017. You you will be glad that you did. Thank you, Alan Riggs. Now let's get back to our guest, Mr. Standeo. Before the break, Stan, we were talking about um, a, a number of things, and if we can, um, I don't know if you have any, if you wanted to say well, anything you, for you about about Obama's lineage, Stan. Yeah. You you are right on the money with that. And if you want to continue that that line of thought, go ahead. Well, I'm just saying that, you know, um, we did protest. I was, I'm guilty of that, uh, loudly that he wasn't a, a legitimate president. Um, and so I'm just saying that the social media factor came in and, and that spread like wildfire. And, you know, um, it is quite possible, you know, that his birth certificate was uh, forged over in Hawaii and that he really was a 
that he did smoke dope in uh, high school. I mean, or even in college, uh, from various people's testimony that were in school with him. But the thing I was getting at was, you know, we started this attack on him uh, in, because we disagreed with his policies and him being president. Well, that kind of disagreement has now grown morphed into violent disagreement in the, the case of President Trump, uh, and it started the, the day after he won, you know, uh, before he'd even been sworn in, in in January. And it has escalated to the point now then where it's going to tear the country apart one way or another. The next four years are going to be, shall we say, as the Chinese do, interesting in this country. It's a time, as you your sponsors have been saying, as we say in Holly's book and on, on these shows, uh, get prepared. You don't have to have a gazillion dollars to build a bunker or something like that. Every day that you do a little preparation, a little buying of extra food and water or things or, you know, medicines, whatever you need to do to kind of prepare that you can afford, every little bit that you do is a little bit that you didn't have the day before. And it doesn't mean you have to do it all at once, but once you start, you'll feel better that you can kind of take care of yourself and your family for a short period of time anyway. So this is the time. This is the time. And there are things other than war. We've got famine threats. Uh, we've got um, uh, geological threats, you know, weather threats. Um, and the climate is changing. And whether or not mankind's efforts, you know, uh, in burning coal or fossil fuels and various other things that we've done to increase the greenhouse gases, whether man's effort is totally responsible for it or not, I I say it is not. It might be a small contributor, but if you look at the history of the planet to the geological layers of ice and stuff that you can get out of the South Pole, you'll see that we have had periods where the greenhouse gases, uh, you know, uh, became very prominent and it heated up the planet and then it cooled down. And it only takes a two degree centigrade, maybe three or four degrees Fahrenheit, but two degrees centigrade change in the average temperature across the entire planet. And you can have an ice age or you can melt away an ice age. We're now heating up. And that's something we have to watch. Um, the the uh, uh, slide 45, image 45, is about massive craters formed by methane blowouts from the Arctic seafloor from the North Pole. These things exploded 12,000 years ago. These methane bubbles came up and there was a horrific explosion that left all these holes in the bottom of the Arctic Sea up there, they're still emitting bubbles of methane gas and streams coming up to the surface, which is adding to global warming, which is changing our climate. And we are definitely looking at the situations where we're going to see reversals of weather that produces crops, say, in California or the, the breadbasket United States. I mean, this year, the the uh, temperature changes, uh, the drought, I think it's it hit 25% of the corn crops, you know, like we lost 25% of it. Well, okay, if this escalates here and in other countries, we're going to see global famine, just like the Bible predicted, at the end times of this age. And famine is one thing. Uh, earthquake is another. Volcanoes are another. Now, the nice one kind of erupted over in Japan, uh, on the southwestern part of Japan, last few days. Um, the the warming of the South Pole, I mean, if you look at images 40, 41, 42, I took these articles that you can look and read it, about it. They're actually having waterfalls coming off of the glacier uh, at the Antarctic. You can see 
videos of this waterfall just flowing off of the ice. And then you see uh, the peninsula has increased three degrees C since the 1950s. Well, that's just the peninsula, the Antarctic Peninsula. If the planet had exceeded that by three degrees, we would see massive droughts, you know, famines, uh, just terrible things. I know that three degrees centigrade mean doesn't uh, seem like it, but it is. It is a balanced tipper in the whole ecosystem for human existence. And you go to the next slide there, 42, and you see moss growing all over parts of Antarctica, green things producing oxygen. Um, you know, something is happening with the methane gas blowout, uh, which increases the temperature of the planet, with the melting water changing the sea level, not to the point yet to be worried about it, but as this ice melts off and goes into the sea, it's a fluid and it goes where the natural level would go for the ocean. But it takes mass, ice, away from the South Pole. And understand that our planet spins physically on an axis that's tilted about 23 and a half degrees. When you take a lump of tons, millions of tons of ice, and it's distribute it across the planet and take it off the bottom of the planet, it's going to change the angle of our spin. It's going to change the tilt of the Earth. It'll wobble us. And this is going to add to our problems. Whether it adds to the problems in the next 10 years is another issue, but the rate at which it's melting there and in the Arctic is stunning. I mean, it is stunning. <laughs> and if, if you look down at slides 37 through 39, I've taken a snapshot of the Earthquakes over 2.5 across the entire planet, but uh, these little slides don't show you the whole planet, but when you click on them, you'll see the whole planet. And I took it for this week in 2015, this week in 2016, and this week in 2017. Now, you do not have to be an expert in seismology to look at these three pictures, left, right, you know, left, center, right, and you will see that in... 2015 and 2016, we had a lot more bigger quakes all over the planet, especially around the Ring of Fire, than we do this week. Look, it's paltry. But, you know, we're way below yeah. what was happening in the last two years. So this is telling me that we're not having pressure or seismic pressure release that we should. So we may be building up to a big surprise somewhere. Maybe California, I don't know. And people... Oregon. Uh, Scientists okay. and others keep keep saying that, you know, the big one in California is just right around the corner. And uh, I guess the question is, if the pressure is not being released in the um, in a consistent fashion, you're saying that that leads to the buildup of the potential for, for a big one to hit. Yeah, yeah, look, I mean, I'm just as concerned about too many earthquakes or an earthquake flurry, you know, a swarm versus no earthquakes, or very few. In fact, if you look at the ones that are in this week, which are the colored ones, the orange and yellow ones on the right, and then look to the left in the other two pictures, there aren't a, a lot of earthquakes of any size in those areas of the southwest part of the Arc of Fire, you know, the Philippines and, you know, New Guinea and that stuff. Normally, they should have a lot of quakes occurring there, but it's thin. So where's that pressure being built up? There, over in... Uh, off the Oregon and Washington coast and the one of Puget Plate uh, in the Aleutians, uh, Central America. You know, where is it Where is it being pent up? And you'll see that we don't have a lot of earthquakes. If you, if you click on that um, slide 39 and get the big picture, you'll see that
um, uh, the earthquakes, um, well, let's see, the earthquakes are moving up toward the Juan de Fuca plate. And there are some in Peru, Chile as well. But they're small. They're small compared to what's happening on the west side of the Arc of Fire. I'm down at the uh, South Pole even. So the fact that there's not these big releases over here is kind of starting to worry me. I'm doing some more uh, studies on this at different um, time spans uh, over the years just to see how bad it is. But I just happened to notice that this week, and I thought, oh, wow, that's interesting. But anyway, we've got earthquakes, we've got volcanoes uh, threatening us, we've got global warming threatening us, we've got release of methane gas. And remember, you know, in the northern part, in the Arctic Ocean, this release is also coming from the warming of the ocean floor, which we've noticed was happening twice as fast as it was down at the South Pole, which is already melting, making river falls, waterfalls. The methane hydrates that are you know, like crystalline forms there, or water crystals that are down at the bottom, which are made from water, methane gas. These are melting and releasing methane gas into the atmosphere. So whether, you know, you're looking at these vents from the the old, uh, um, you know, pockets or craters that were formed by the thing 12,000 years ago, or whether you're looking at modern melting of hydrates, we're seeing a serious increase in the methane in our atmosphere coming straight up to the ocean. It's something to consider. Uh, we have obviously political warfare things, but so there you have you have weather, you have like famine attached to the weather. You got earthquakes, you got volcanoes, you got uh, global warming, you got a threat of nuclear war in the United States and overseas, and ISIS attack. You know, which is creating chaos. We we're, our money system is at threat at the moment. Uh, you know, I, and all that's these just a regular are, Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> true. True. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, I, I found some other interesting things. I, I, I rather uh, fun but but uh, frightening thing, I guess, in one respect. How to raise the dead? Slide forty-four it talks about a American team down in South America somewhere uh, attempting to bring people back from the dead by injecting them with a certain chemical and pumping it through into their brain. If they're brain dead, they reckon they can bring them back, and that's spooky. I saw Think that. About this. It- and it's about you people die. who are in, in comas, uh, brain dead. Whoa, 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 wait a second, Stan. Okay. Oh, man. So, so <laughs> I can just see this. Okay, so they're laying in the, in the, in the, in the coffin, maybe not embalmed, and they get injected. Boy, that'd be a party, wouldn't it? Well, from what I understand, it's brain damage. People who are brain dead, not completely yeah. dead. Oh, brain dead. All right. Yeah, yeah I, I was being a bit facetious there. I said a bit of fun, but <laughs> yeah, they're going to try to, to. They've already done it with animals, and it worked. So now they're going to try it on uh, humans. That's so terrible. Uh, wow. If you, if you, I don't know if you're brain dead, whether your your uh, spirit is still in the body or not. But uh, no, no, we'll have to try you, on some liberals, progressives. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, my my bad. Sorry. Well, can you imagine if you were leaving your body, you'd, you'd just realize you were dying, and then you're dead, and you're starting to leave your body, and you see the light and the Lord out there, and you think, oh, wow, I'm free, I'm going home, and suddenly somebody rips you back into the body. Oh, look, I give you a shot to let you come back alive. Isn't that neat? <laughs> I think I'd be disappointed. 
Yeah. Um, uh, you know, there's a lot of different types of life-saving technology from the, the defibrillator or the, the heart, you know, restarters yeah. to the, I was reading the other day or yesterday, um, that the new number yeah. one cause of death in the U.S. is drug overdoses. It surpassed, um, you know, the murders in the seventies, gun violence in the seventies and car accidents in the eighties. And, uh, there's, and I think it has to do with, with, it's in direct relation with, uh, opiates. Well, it, you know, you know, you know what? It, boy, don't get me started with on opiate this. overdoses, whether okay. it's heroin, it, to, it's, to, it's the, it's the, the fictitious war on drugs. I think it's a bunch of hooey and, and I think that the government's responsible for, for this, but that's just me. Stan, I'm sorry. I take away your When you say the war on drugs, what are you, what are you, are you saying it's well, good or okay. bad thing? Well, I, I, look, I think the war on drugs is not a good thing. And I'll tell you, I'll, it's not that the drug, it's not that drugs are good. I think that the war on drugs, first of all, drugs is a substance. You can't, uh, it's like saying we're never war on footballs. Okay. It's, it's, uh, no. Um, I, I think that the war on drugs is manufactured, uh, artificially manufactured. And what it's doing, it's part of a eugenics program, in my view, anyway, uh, um, or, or not eugenics, well, genocidal program to take away, um, legitimate, the legitimate need to create, um, um, you create uh, drug dependents or drug abusers through, um, how can I explain this? Uh, cutting off the supply to uh, of opiates or pain medication to those in legitimate need you you freely distribute them to people who don't need them but will abuse them that, that then you take it away that creates the uh, the um, uh, heroin epidemic i mean it's multifaceted i shouldn't say um it, it, it's a long conversation to have but i think the whole thing is manufactured that's my belief and we're in the we, age of pharmacopoeia aren't we yes we are yes yes yeah. yeah, look, I I do need pain meds from time to time, and uh, living in Colorado makes it easier not to get prescribed medicines if you want to do that. Uh, but it it leaves you a bit um, disoriented. So, but, but, but see, an but sin, I, and and see, you have a legitimate need, uh, and so do many vets coming back without limbs or that that, that you know have been blown up, and, and I see the VA giving them. Uh, inferior medication or withholding the medication to the point where they're in so much pain they want to commit suicide and many do the suicide rate is off the charts now from veterans but yet the heroin is a growing epidemic well why well um yeah look all you do is look to afghanistan yeah and our government's involvement there and the you know the ten thousand percent increase of the the opium fields there and then you have you know the cia uh, shipping the drugs back in here as they've done for decades, whether it was cocaine or now heroin, and, and the CIA is actually, and then you have the U.S. government yeah. warring on the on the drugs that they brought in themselves. There you go. I mean, it's a big. It's the a big CIA industry. marks the CIA marks the components to the cocaine that they're importing to make sure that the other groups aren't competing against them. It's crazy. Uh, amazing, isn't it? Yeah, you it know, is. um, I, I was just looking at some of the things we hadn't covered yet. The, um, the the North Korean situation is really a lot more volatile than people, I think, are realizing. Um, when you look at slide 47 there, uh, you, and it'll take you to an article on it, uh, uh, President Trump has ordered three carrier groups. They call them armadas, but they're carrier groups. They're strike carrier groups. Now, they're all into the uh, 
ready for something from North Korea. A carrier strike group has 7,500 men in it and a bunch of planes and a bunch of uh, ships and even a submarine or two. And he ordered three of them there. So there's over 22,500 men and women in those three uh, carrier strike groups sitting over there in the Korean waters. You don't do that as a bluff. You just don't. If you click on that link, you can get a big picture and you can see how many of what type of aircraft and things are in a single strike group. And that gives you a, a kind of a poor estimation of how big and how powerful this group is. I mean, the nukes could be on the subs, the nukes could be on an aircraft carrier, they could be on some of the tender ships. Uh, you know, it, it is a big deal, as uh, uh, the vice president used to say in Obama's administration. Um, but anyway, have a look at that and see how many things have been put into a single carrier group and realize that three of them are over there in the in the region. And the, you know, an aircraft carrier, a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, is a mighty beast, a mighty city. I mean, it's just huge. So it is important, I think, to put emphasis on the threat from the North Korean problem at the moment. You can read a bit about it on that article there if you click on the, the uh, 47, the text in, in the bottom there. Stan, would it surprise you? Would it surprise you to to hear like you know we nuked uh, North Korea tomorrow? I mean, if you woke up tomorrow and heard that, would it surprise you? No, but it'd worry me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> good answer. <laughs> um, in, in image forty three down underneath, they're talking about you know nukes and, and ships and stuff. The Chinese have let slip some stuff. Maybe some of the people did you know. Uh, on purpose, but they have a new kind of uh, ship that is a ship and a submarine at the same time, and it has a flat bottom to it. You can see the the drawn images of it there, and then there are some images in the article as well. Um, the, the the darn thing is like a it'll transform itself. You know, it can do some of the shape modeling of its hull and flatten the hull, and in essence, surf over wave peaks above the surface very fast and then go underneath to be getting rid of its radar signature and launch uh, nukes from under the water. They're very proud of this. And I'm telling you, you know, I don't know that we're, you know, any better than theirs. I know we've got some stealth vehicles that are very fast over the water and some underwater. Um, but you, you're not dealing with an enemy that's uh, throwing sticks at you. These are real items here. And there is concern, I'm sure, in our Defense Department about how to counter this, you know, on the limited budget they've had. So this is contributing to the situation over there. Should should uh, our government strike North Korea from one of those strike forces or all of them, especially with a nuke, the Chinese and the Russians are on borders uh, of, to, of Northern Korea, and they have their own troops amassed there. So are they going to then think, well, the United States has started, we're going to finish them. If you take out three strike groups in the area with some nukes, it, it might weaken them enough they the United States would uh, surrender or something. But you can see how the mentality we're fighting over there in Russia and China is, you know, probably more to worry about than the, the North Koreans, because, as you say, we could wipe them out with nukes, just to take out the infrastructure and the leadership and communications, and they're back to the Stone Age. But that's not going to stop Russia and China thinking, okay, uh, they can make an excuse however they want to. The United States uh, is obviously an enemy of uh, Asia 
here in the United States, which in some cases it probably already happened if you read some of the social media stuff. Indeed. But anyway, yeah. that's that's the beginning of the, the big curve, the big threat curve, which is the threat of nuclear war. And if it comes into our country, which I think it will, the Hopi uh, prophecy keepers even told Holly and I that it is coming. And that it's going to totally destroy, you know, 120 cities or more, plus a lot of the real estate. And it'll, it'll so destroy the land that the invaders will go home because it's not worth keeping. And about the only usable dirt will be around the Rocky Mountain area. Mm. Boy. Yeah, that would be a, definitely a showstopper here in the United States. And, um, yeah, I was just talking with someone about the Hopi prophecy that you had described. Um, and this individual was familiar with, with the, with the prophetic, um, aspects of, of the disposition, ultimate disposition, disposition of North America. Um, so pretty interesting and I think I think the intent at least for North America perhaps even the entire northern hemisphere is just to lay, lay it to waste and, and set up perhaps in the southern hemisphere is, is that possible? Well the rate that South uh, that the Antarctica is warming up and growing green stuff uh, yeah <laughs> yeah no, that's yeah, I, yeah I, right. I see that as a real possibility man one of your listeners has contacted me in the last two weeks, three weeks, I guess, and we're working together now. Uh, we live a couple states, well, one state apart, I guess. But um, I want to tell you that he is a, a very bright fellow, and we're working on a solution to the uh, backyard energy device that is going to be pretty neat. Oh, great. And it's not something like we're going to hold on to or anything like that. Part of what we're doing right now, then I'm looking at the ionosphere on a live feed um, and watching the solar wind bombard the ionosphere. This ought to be a big clue to you guys out there. Mm. Pretty exciting. Refreshing about four times a second. I can tell when the solar wind is, uh, you know, changing direction, intensity, and speed. It's amazing to watch it just... Anyway, that's new tech. I, we're, we're entering it, and um, we won't say immediately that we've got it, but we're pretty sure we're on the right track, on the trail. Our, our prayers better, for your success. Wow. Well, we'll we'll share it. it, uh, it we just want to get it working first and make it safe and hopefully be able to defeat things like um, EMPs from nukes or from solar, uh, you know, mass ejection, coral mass ejection. Anyway, that would be fantastic. That's in your spare time, right? Wow. How great is that? Well, Stan, thank you so much. You've brought brought us to the end of the program already. Uh, it's always a pleasure, really, to, to sit and visit with you. It's um, like no other, and we really appreciate your gift of time. Even when you're not feeling well, Stan, we, uh, we really hope you feel better. I know it's tough. Our prayers are with you. And, Much um, needed, thank you. Uh, yeah, and for Holly uh, too, she's certainly going through some of her indeed. dramas with health as well. Well, not, it's, not it's, a series of these, but it, it's well, getting there. As you get older, things just break down, you know. Yeah, and and we ask, folks, we ask uh, everyone listening, watching, 
either live or by archive, please keep Stan and Holly Dale in your prayers. Please pray for their health, their recovery. Their um, uh, they do so much for so many, and they won't say a word about it. So they're, they're well deserving uh, of our prayers. Please let's keep them in your prayers. And with that, Stan, I just want to say thank you so much, and, and you have a good, restful, peaceful night. And you too, and for your wife, we pray a speedy recovery as well. Amen. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, God guys. bless. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for allowing me that time away, and thanks for your understanding. And I want to thank Joe, my son, for standing up and stepping up and, and sitting in. John Robertson, thank you for everything you've done, and Eric the Tech as well. And, of course, my daughter Jackie, to all of you, thank you. And to the listeners, to the viewers, to the people who have sent uh, emails and notes, I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, thank you so very, very much. We are coming back. We are strong. We are going after the people. And, by the way, the, the pedophile rings, Craig Sawyer, others who are involved in fighting that, I'm going to tell you something. We're coming after you. You will be exposed, as will the purveyors and protectors of evil and darkness. May God bless each and every one of you. Thank you so much. 